How are you doing? I am very well considering how many impossible labors we have jammed into this podcast. You know what I mean? Like, this, I, no, this is going to be easy. No, easy. This this is the opposite of easy, man. What are you talking about? Like, I was I was reading this stuff, and um, you know, you you were like, oh yeah, we just we just have to stop partway through forty eight is I think what you said in order for us to be able to to cut off at the right point, and that is literally impossible. Stopping <laughs> at that point in the story. It is. It's literally like a, a one-panel transition to end of amazing story to let's switch to space. What's that figure on a surfboard? It's yeah, impossible. It's, no, that that's what we'll do. What that's what we're gonna do, huh? That's what we're gonna do. Okay, well that's fine. But let me tell you, I read up through the end of motherfucking fifty because it was <laughs> of impossible to stop reading. So. Hello, listeners. Welcome <laughs> to Baxter Building. I could be wrong, but I think we're on episode four. I am Gray McMillan. One of your hosts for this exquisite podcast. The other is the fact checker on the other end of the line, Mr. Jeffrey Lester. Yes. Hello, everyone. Hello. And uh, this is going to be a weird one. I know that last one was a weird one. This is going to be a weird one for a totally different reason, which is it's it's a podcast of two halves. Mm-hmm. If halves were not actually fifty percent, but instead just splitting something in two. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's very much like whenever I try and split something in half, like a piece of cake or something like that, and it inevitably ends up being in that weird one-third slash two-third kind of thing. Yeah. We're, we have to stop at, at the half-hour point for something for my work, and then we're going to pick it up. For you guys, this means nothing, apart from, I don't know, we'll do some interstitial noise or something. Uh, but for us, it means there's going to be, I think, like a half hour or an hour gap in between doing the podcast. So there's going to be a weird, like, jolt at some point, and we apologize in advance. So it's half, we're not talking for 45 minutes and then breaking for, like, 45 minutes? It's going to be more like... We'll see how confident I feel about interviewing someone with no prep. Okay, that's... You... you... I'm following this the impossible schedule that you said. And, and also, to be honest, we'll see where we are in terms of the conversation. Like, yeah. if we're literally in the middle of something, then I'm not going to be like, okay, that's half an hour. But if, <laughs> you know, if we finish something, then that's a good time to stop. Ladies and gentlemen, Graham McMillan has never listened to one of our podcasts. Let's see what happens, shall we? So, um... <laughs> Let's just jump right in Wait, on it, right? Yes. No. We're not finished the introduction. Oh my God! Really? More introduction? Yes, because I want to tell all of you listening along at home and reading along at home that uh, we are going to be doing Fantastic Four Annual Two. Then we're going to attempt to get through Fantastic Four issues thirty-six through part of forty-eight, which Jeff has already given me into trouble about. Then, well, actually, in the middle of that, we're also going to try and do Fantastic Four Annual Three. Can we do all of that when last time we couldn't even get through twelve issues? We'll see. Yes. Yes, indeed. We really will see. I am so, uh, yeah, a little worried. We're going to try, Jeff. That's the important thing. Yeah, that's the important thing. I'll tell you this much. Fantastic Four Annual 2 
which was the highlight of the issues we read for the last time, even though we didn't get to it, mm-hmm. um, feels so much less impressive now. It does. Uh, it really, it, really does. Now that because we should say that this run of issues that we're t- going to talk about, uh, it's really when like Fantastic Four, as we know it, kicks into high gear. Yes. Uh, and, and there is, you know, when Joe Sinnott comes on with inks on, I think, issue 42 or something like that, 44 maybe, mm-hmm. um, and the Inhumans come in, mm-hmm. it's it's one of the level up things that we've talked about in yeah. the past. Yeah. And so you go back and look at Annual 2, which I loved last time, which really was the highlight, mm-hmm. and it just seems that little bit less impressive. Well, I, I, you know... I. Uh, this is a good this is a good point because I I do feel and and we'll move into them with the issues but annual two which really is quite enjoyable um, and and has the the really great fantastic origin of Doctor Doom as its as its main story um, is is wonderful but but a I feel that annual three of course kind of ends up topping it by doing an entirely different thing. But I, I you know, my personal oh, feeling... Really? An- annual 3, I found, is a, is a the first of the misfires of the annuals. <gasps> really? Oh my yeah. god. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, let's let's come back to that then. Because I, I think that actually Annual 3 is a... It's, it's like the closing of a chapter to me. It, annual 3 is everything that the FF can get sort of could be pre-Joe Sinnott, pre-Jack Kirby kind of doing what Stanley sort of tells him to. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like it, it comes right in between issues 42 and 43, I think. 43 being the first Sinnott issue and the, the first appearance of Gorgon, I think. Um, and, you know, it's the marriage of Reed and Sue. And so it's got... It's got a whole bunch of stuff in there, very much the sort of Stan Lee's idea of the Marvel Universe, I think, and what he wants. And it's, I think it's really good for what it is, but it is also what ends up following in FF43 is just leagues beyond it, I think. I agree with all of that, mm-hmm. but it's still... Like, <laughs> Except it's still... for the part about Annual 3 being good. <laughs> well, no, it is good, but for example, I think Annual 2 is better than Annual 3. Mm. Uh, annual two does very much what annual one did, which is let's use the annual as space to explore one of our villains, mm-hmm. uh, because you get two new stories and a reprint. Mm-hmm. So you get the origin of Doctor Doom, you get a reprint of Doctor Doom's first appearance, and you get oh, what is the 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 final story is essentially Doctor Doom. Yeah, the final final showdown. Yeah, the final victory of Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the new stories are great. Uh, the origin of Doctor Doom in particular is really, really, really good. Yeah, and, and sees both Lee and Kirby embracing their monster comic mm-hmm. past, mm-hmm. Uh, but through the prism of Fantastic Four, through the prism of the language they've created for Marvel. Yes, uh, because it is it's a ghost story essentially. Hmm. You think so? Well, it, it's a supernatural story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a story about. It's not a superhero story, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. Yes. Uh, and it's a, a story about uh, bad men making bad choices, or, or. I don't know. There's there's a lack of moral center to it. Yes. That I find very very interesting. Yeah. 
uh, and and they sort of gleefully play up. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, and then he does this. It's terrible. And you have, you know, we are the villagers in the background saying this will not end well. <laughs> well, I, I, I think to the extent that, that I agree with you, that the, there is a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a lot of the Lee and Kirby monster stories from before the superhero times and even as we see them play out and get metamorphosized in the earlier uh, fantastic four issues have a sort of certain cheap sense of irony um you know it's like oh all he wanted was blank but what he got was the opposite of blank you know kind of thing here and one of the things that's really interesting about the origin the fantastic origin of dr doom is that you have so many people trying in the course of the story to do what's best for Victor, young Victor Von Doom. And yet we end up with a monster, despite... Well, he keeps on... He doesn't turn them down as much as turns away from all their advice. Mm-hmm. Everyone is constantly trying to pull him on the straight and narrow, and he is repeatedly being like no screw you guys what's this my mother was a witch and i found her chest and it's full of magical things how can this go wrong yeah but that's that's really i mean it's really close to like the the difference between victor von doom and i don't know batman is is the is the magical chest is the appearance of dark dark sorcery or the dark the, destiny. The best part is, when you said that, I wish there was a noise that could have expressed me giving you a skeptical look. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, huh? <laughs> well, no, because he, he says... I, to- I totally get that it's very close to a superhero origin, but like, your choice of Batman in particular was like, maybe not. Well, uh, let's put it this way. There's a panel where Victor Von Doom is, they murdered my mother when I was but an infant, and now they have slain my father. They'll pay for that, okay? If you just, uh, if you push mom and dad together in the same act of death and murdering, it's it's Batman, you know? And well, instead of Alfred, you've got, you know, Kristoff or whatever being like, you know, yeah, I will do whatever I can to, to raise this kid. But also, like, we never told him his, his mother was a sorceress, you know well, what I but mean? But also, you know, Victor pledges revenge well see he pledges and, revenge on all of mankind yeah not just and, the people no, who do yeah, it but, but there's a difference between revenge and justice is what i'm saying batman's origin is never i'm gonna hunt down the guy who shot my parents and make him pay it's justice uh, you know yeah, sure. criminals have to be taken care of and so it's it's a very different thing for me mm-hmm I get that the mechanics of the, and then he finds the magical chest, and he's also a genius, and then he gets flown to America, is very like Marvel Comics superhero origin. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's just like Stanley slash Jack Kirby's narrative logic. Sure, like sure. Like, it's not enough that he is a magician. He has to be a magician who's also a scientific genius, who is also, you know, one of the smartest men in the world, yada, yada, yada. Well, okay, can we can we talk a little bit about the magician thing? Because this is actually something that has nagged at me for a long time, you know, is over uh, relatively early on the idea that um, Victor's mother <clears throat> is a sorceress is taken at face value, but... 
in this story, at least, everything that is quote unquote sorcery that Victor does is science. And to me, the idea is, is that Kirby is playing with the idea, the, the, the whole Arthur C. Clarke saw of a technology that's sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Everyone sees her as being a witch. What she really is, is a genius inventor in a backwoods European country. And Victor is, is also a genius. And so I think I think there's a reading for that, but I also think that you're stretching by saying that everything you see is that as magic is actually science. Because oh. the gold statue that turns to mud. Mm-hmm. I, what science is that, Jeff? Oh, e- okay, it's crap pseudoscience. No, but no, but like that's right, like. I read that more as magic. I get that the violin that plays itself is explicitly science. Mm-hmm. He 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 calls that out mm-hmm. as like it's called out as scientific sorcery. Okay, I and love has, this. He has like an iPod. He has like an iPod. Right. The yeah. Okay, that's definitely science. Right. The uh, headache cure that gets rid of his hair. Mm-hmm. I think you can read both ways. Like I'd read it as science, but I would also have no problem with anyone reading it as magic. Sure. But the gold statue that turns to mud, like, I, is explicitly magic to me. I don't see that as explicitly magic. But because at best I see it as iffy and were followed by, Vic, you know, oh, the by very, the Doombot. Yeah, a Doombot and a freeze grenade. Like, to me, I'm like, uh, you know. Well, no, sure. And the next time you see him, he's, he's in a lab. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I totally, I get the scientific genius part. I'm not denying that at all. I'm no, just no, no, saying, no, no, no. I think it's a very particular reading where you're like, all of his magic is actually science. I think Lee and Kirby are trying to have it both ways. I, uh, I think that it's, there's definitely enough ambiguity there. I don't, I don't think, I don't think in the cases, I, I just think when and you never, you never see his mother. No, you never see his mother, so, which is like, wonderful. So the idea that you're like, so his mother was also a genius is again a massive leap. I you've I, come up with a theory, which is a sound theory, but I think to be like yes, it's all there yes, in the text. No, 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 uh, Graham. I'm sorry. I I totally get the way that you are very sensibly railroading me. But no, I am I I am saying like yeah, they say she was a sorceress. All the examples that we just talked about are heavily weighted in favor of technology, and there's no demons you know there's no shadowy ghost figures there is no point at which any of the traditional signifiers of a larger mystic experience like look how different you have dr doom from dr strange you know what i mean like you just well, sure. They both uh, end or, up or, similarly uh, stumbling around out in the Himalayas and and seeking the forbidden secrets of black magic and sorcery, as they say. But I just feel that. Um... But also, so to uh, I don't know if I'm supporting or, or refuting your points at this point. <laughs> uh, when you saw Diablo in the last run of issues, yes, um, he was explicitly magic, but his magic was very scientific. Yes, so I think there's definitely. Uh, a really interesting crossover slash confusion mm-hmm. about where that line is yes. for Lee and Kirby. Uh, and 
elsewhere in this story, mm-hmm. when you see Doom carry on, quote, bizarre and dangerous experiments, yes. it looks much more like a magical ritual than it does in any scientific experiment. Uh, yeah, I mean... If you saw that panel without that text on it... N- no, I agree. You think he's doing magic or he's a scientist? But, but the thing is, is within the core of the story, like you said, there's supposed to be some confusion because earlier you see him wearing a mask and doing what's definitely a scientific observation. And, and, and maybe this is it. Maybe this is the point that, that where Kirby and for the heck of it, let's say Lee, you know, are being <laughs> very, cause to me, well, and, and I'll get to this, I think, in a minute, or, or maybe I won't have much of a major point on it. But this, to me, feels very, very much, again, like this is a Jack, welcome to Jack Kirby's wheelhouse. You know, this is what he kind of lives for. Like, I think later the, on, there's the, points. In, the narrative jumps in mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. feel very Kirby and not Lee. Yeah. The narrative jumps are Kirby, but also Kirby, and this this is something that that uh, I think was really underscored for me by reading um, a a brilliant little essay that I think ran in the Kirby Collector from Jonathan Lethem, uh, where or Lethem, sorry, uh, where he's talking about uh, Lee Kirby as Kirby has a fixation with the old world, you know, and like his old he's a he is. A dude in America that, you know, is from immigrant, you know, immigrant roots and the stories that have been told about the old world to him when he goes, he it's it's very much a magical but amazingly fake place. It's it. And it is a place that I feel that Kirby returns to time and again this sort of mix of like you, you mentioned the Di- diablo which is a good point we see it when um kirby goes over to dc and and is oh and messing with all that through imagery. his fourth world stuff exactly you know and, and all through like demon and things like exactly that. demon pretty much kind of being an apex of it you know and and even when he comes back into um and takes over you know captain america again you know, there's a huge chunk of stuff post 200 that is very much kind of uh, like various, I guess part of it is, is a, you know, a central or South American country. But I think there's definitely some weird backwoods Euro, Kirby European is, thing too. Kirby is weirdly fascinated in um, non-urban spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not just like the, the Eastern European thing, but when, you know, when you get to Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. Do you know what I mean? Like he's got some really weird. Uh, he's both inclusive because mm-hmm. he puts the stuff in, right? Uh, but because his knowledge base is, let's be honest, limited, uh, it's also crazily offensively stereotypical. Well, for Wakanda, yeah, but I mean, you know, at all no, the time, it, I, I mean, what's interesting is you're like Wakanda, and I'm like, no, the European stuff. Oh, the European <laughs> stuff. No, no, no. It's true. The European you know, stuff all, is like, actually they're all crazy gypsies. Right. Those crazy gypsy bastards. They're, yeah. Look at little, them yeah. They're, with their magical ways, and they hunt people. Like Kirby, uh, I, I, I don't know if you listen to the Explain the X Men podcast, but there's a running joke there about 
uh, in Marvel's European villages, there was always a mob ready to hunt someone down with torches. Yes. And Kirby, like Kirby created that, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Kirby's Europe is the Europe where that's what people do in the evening for fun. Oh, completely. Kirby's Kirby's Europe is, it's 1967, nobody has a flashlight, everyone is using those goddamn lamps. You know, everyone's yes, holding everyone's up a lamp. everyone's using lamps. Yeah. Everyone is crazily superstitious. It's Kirby's yeah. Europe is... There's the yokels and there's the gypsies. <laughs> there's and the that, yokels, like, it's, the it's gypsies, the and the authority story. figures. And honestly, all of them are kind of corrupt, you know? Don't well, you not, think? I, I, I'm not sure I go with corrupt as much as, especially, well, I think the yokels are stupid. Right. Uh, and, and portrayed as, as such. I, mm-hmm. I think they're portrayed as uh, being superstitious to the point of stupidity. Right. Um. And I think that the gypsies are persecuted slash there will be at least one who is evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, that's the way the story works. Yes. But authority figures are always corrupt. Authority figures are always corrupt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, 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 some, it's some pretty hardcore stuff. And, like, it, to me, because this is – it's Kirby's the old world of his imagination. I think, of course, is also powered by how much he loves the costumes and the the outfits. And you know, visually, there's a period. You know, Kirby loves will never pass up the chance to to draw that stuff. So just looking at the variety of of gypsy outfits that Victor wears in his origin story is, you know, pretty great. Um, <laughs> Is it all the the uh, fashions that you want to inherit? Oh, oh, yeah. his it contains one of my like randomly funny, and there are the dogs. Contains one of my randomly funny, uh, hilarious panels, where the panel where uh, he says it's a childish trick, not worthy of my great talents, mm-hmm. and he's pressed the button on what page six? Yes, the first time on page six. Mm-hmm. There is something about that panel, the dialogue, but also the. Oddly oversized hat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so great. And then on page seven, when you see uh, Victor throw the grenade, and his arm is way too big, mm-hmm. way too long. Like it's it's one of those things where I read it and I stopped, and I was like, Kirby. Normally, I'm perfectly fine with your anatomy being off, but for some reason, this arm is throwing me off. I think I think because it is that idea of Kirby. It's supposed to be like that sort of blousey shirt. You know, and oh, no, but it's the arm is too long. No, but the arm is too long, and because you have the the, how do I put it? I just feel the that, shapelessness of the. Yeah, of the... exactly. It makes the arm look nine feet long. You know, it's just really, really bad. I mean, I just love the fact that that, that Victor is like, ah, this is a childish trick, not worthy of my great talents. Not like this hat with a feather in it. Check that out. That's hey, that's not childish at all. Yeah, okay? exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying. the The days of of Victor running around and you know looking like in his little red vest and you know yellow uh, turtleneck shirt 
thing. It's like just adorable. It's adorable to Victor Von Doom. It's so ridiculous. But little Victor Von Doom in that outfit, the one you're talking about, totally reminds me of um, Mickey Dolenz's. Oh my God, I was going to say Mickey Dolenz and the Monkees. Yes. Yes, Right. Completely. It's so so great. Yeah, (laughs) totally is. Like so much. Our what if story of what if Victor Von Doom had like auditioned for the Monkees. Yes. That would have been the unexpected Von Doom monkey crossover has been revealed. Uh, I, I think we can say because I'm going to try and wind this up so we can talk about the second story in the issue. The Fantastic Origin of Victor Von... Oh, the Fantastic Origin of Doctor Doom actually is one of the greatest, most memorable origin stories of all time. Oh, yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's just so filled with everything. Yeah. Uh, I also love that the story starts with new secrets that have never been revealed before. New! <laughs> you guys haven't read... Except the hilarious part is you have read this before because they've done this origin already in the, the main book. Yes, although... Sure, there is more here. There's more but, here and, and... But the meat of it is has all been said before. Although, is, isn't it some of it... Like, I think this is the issue where we finally see the element of the Reed and Victor kind of being like... Um, I think it's the first time that we actually see it but i think we've been told it before well yeah we'll see i i think this is the first appearance of the essential for understanding dr doom this would have worked you fucked it up like before when we see the whole college he was like in his first appearance when they recount the origin of dr doom they don't make it sound like they they knew him personally at all and that changes with this origin i think the origin definitely here at this point is where it changes to like we all knew each other we were going to be roommates richard's fucked this thing up and fucked up my life and it's him not me you know and i i think i think this is where it's made explicit and honestly i would be hard pressed because at this point even though it's you know right around the time of the fantastic four issue 36 it already seems like you know, Doctor Doom has appeared like 15 times in the title already. Oh, yeah, he's just been there so much. And so that's when you get to the, the final story of the issue. Yes. The, 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 is it called The Final Victory of Doctor Doom? It is, Doom? The Final Victory of Doctor No, no, no. According to you, it's oh, called, so I, you're the right. called The Fabulous Fantastic, Fantastic Four, Four Fall of Victims of. of. Oh my God, Graham. But I call it, it I, The Final Victory I honestly victory would have let you away with that one this time, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you, you brought it on yourself. Yeah. Um, I it's it's both great mm-hmm. like all the great stuff is not the story if that makes sense like mm-hmm. I love that he runs into Ramatut mm-hmm. and that you have the am I you or you me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like I, I I adore that I adore that when that happens as well you get Ramatut having a fucking spectacular Kirby machine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean man yeah that is it, a beautiful that, piece of machinery it's on page six and it's mm-hmm. it's just such such wonderful design and also so very late era Kirby, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I point. really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when you get past that and when you get like to, to the, the main part of the story, it almost entirely feels like filler. Oh yeah. Oh. It's kind of amazing because mm-hmm. his plot is basically I'll drug them, make them all paranoid and then they'll have a fight. Yeah. Well, and again, there's like Lee and I feel like there's Lee and Kirby second guessing one another. Like, again, Lee doing a little bit of the overriding as to um, as to what's happening. The, yeah, the, the, a little bit. Especially the, the Reed and Sue stuff, I feel, is very. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know. I, later on in this run as well, we'll find out that there's parts where the Reed and Sue stuff, there's just the relationship really, really irritated me. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like I'm sort of backdating that back to this. Yeah, yeah. Then, well, because it is, it is a little bit of a, a mess because I don't know. It, 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 it's the it, he, Doom has like the FF are imagining just what I desire them to imagine, and I sort of feel like there's not nearly that degree of control there. It's just very much like they all see their own worst fears. And their worst fears are related to to one another in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know. It's you know, it's so funny. I'm like, oh, it's been like nine million years since I've read this. I do remember sort of <laughs> loving the fact that um, the like on page sixteen of the story, there's that amazing candle that appears to be like the creature from the Black Lagoon's arm, just on fire. Like that's awesome. The, you know, the, the fact that Dr. Doom basically is the cause of his own defeat because he's so upset by his face that he draws a gun and, and like shoots the mirror and stuff. Which is so wonderful. And uh, unusually again for Liam Kirby, who I do not consider to be great planners. Mm -hmm. Um, the shout out that gives back to the end of the first story in the issue. Mm, yes. Which was really appreciative because that right. ends with him putting on the mask for the first time. Yes, exactly. Well, and in fact, the whole ring and everything. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff where it's like this story doesn't make nearly as much sense without the origin of Doctor Doom being read. So having them both in the same issue is. But you know what? You know what I love about it? Mm. Uh, it's the story that made me think. Doom comes so close in these early issues to mm-hmm. almost defeating the Fantastic Four. Yes. But he never uses any of the same things that worked for him again. That's true. So in this issue, he paralyzes the thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and beats him. Yes. And he never does that again. Right. Like, if I were Doctor Doom, mm-hmm. I would do that trick again. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when you see Doom come back in the next few issues... Yes. Doom is going to get just beaten to hell by the thing. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. You, you get the point. Like, when you read this issue, and then in quick succession, you read the, the Doom coming back and getting beaten up by the thing. If you're anything like me, you think, you really should have kept hold of that paralyzer. <laughs> this wouldn't have happened if that thing, that worked last time. Well, yeah. I mean, you can make up all sorts of fancy in in story re- out of story reasons as to why that's the case. But yeah, that is definitely the case. Um, Doom always goes at these weird angles each time, which probably helps keep him interesting. Interesting, yeah. Early on, you know, as as the character comes closer and closer to taking hold. When we come back. Mm-hmm. I love that we can actually say that. When we come back, we'll actually get on with issues 36 through uh, 48, or however far we get. But I'd like to say that Annual 2 actually serves as a great aperitif. Yes. Because it really does tie in with stuff that is going to happen in later issues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very true. It sets the stage so well for issues... God, what is it? Issue... 39 like four, and 40. Yeah, through 40 or yeah. 41, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there, there's some really... Yeah, and when we come back also, Jeff, I'm going to uh, argue with you about your the next bunch of issues. The last time we did this, 
you were like, oh, we're heading into a lull. We're heading into a terrible, terrible lull. And while I get what you were thinking, I no, don't I, think it exists in reality. I, it, it, it's, it was wrong. I, we'll t- let's talk about it when we come back, and I'll tell you why, why, why I can Oh, I, know. I, I totally know why you thought it, mm-hmm. but I think when you then read them, you're like, oh, it's not like that at all. <laughs> so that will that after this break. From the letters page of Fantastic Four, issue 36. Dear Stan and Jack, another month and you've done it again. I don't know how you always manage to come up with better and better issues, but you do. FF33 was great. I loved every minute of it. Lots of action, fun and games for everyone. Jack has a fantastic imagination for depicting outlandish machinery and the barbaric splendor in costumes. Reading the FF is almost like seeing one of the old Cecil B. DeMille films. The battle scenes between Neymar and Atuma were classic, to say the least. I still say, though, that Neymar could be put on the right path, perhaps with Lady Dormazade. I'd like to see the Submariner as a friend of the FF. Unusual twist, the FF aiding Neymar without his knowing it. As for Sue and Reed getting married, I cast my vote, yes. Odd attitude for a bachelor, but I appreciate that venerable old institution. Congratulations on your best mag awards, I heartily agree. Also glad to see that good old Ben Grimm finally got to be idol of millions. Dave Cockrum, SN, 69939333, YNA School, USNTC, San Diego, California, 92133. The response says, how about that? We see that Dave Cockrum, one of our most loyal fans, is in the Navy now. Tell you what, Davey boy, as soon as you're assigned to a permanent shipper base, take a poll amongst all your favorite gobs or jobs. I don't know which. As to see which is their favorite Marvel title, and you guys in the bullpen, we'll send you a complimentary subscription to that mag. And it better not be Millie the Model Sailor. That's right. Not only do you get a little bit of comics history, but you also get a little weird quasi-homophobic dig there as well. Comics, everyone. And we're back. Yes, welcome back, Graham McMillan. Welcome back, Jeff Lester. Welcome back, listeners, to the second part this week's episode of Baxter Building. Yeah, I think it's supposedly kind of fitting considering how much of the uh, Fantastic Four issues we're dealing with in this episode are continued stories or broken into multiple parts that we should have a podcast that it's itself. Broken into multiple parts, apart from for the people listening, because we'll have to just do something in between. Yes, yes, we'll have to, clearly. Like, you'll have to read, like, one of the letters from the letters page while the girl from Ipanema runs in the background. Oh, man. Okay. Done. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. Uh, You are the best for being so game at that sort of thing. I have to say, um, earlier on this week, so I'm reading all the Fantastic Fours, and did you ever see the Captain Scarlet puppet show when you were a kid? No, never did. Uh, So it's great, first of all. But... The, why I'm saying this is uh, the theme music was really great because it was literally just going Captain Scarlet, uh, and then the music went bum 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 bum, um, and I'm reading the, the Fantastic Four, and in the back of my head, it's like Baxter Building, dun, 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 dun. I was like, oh shit, that should have been the tune. <laughs> well, you know, you can experiment around. I'm sure people are. are uh tired of uh my death metal growling no they know? shouldn't be and i say 
I think I said this before, and if I didn't, I'm saying it now. Anyone who's in a band and wants to perform a cover version of the Baxter Building theme, as performed by Jeff Lester, um, feel free. You have our blessing, yes. but we'd like to hear a recording of it. Oh, man, that would be the best. Right, exactly. And <laughs> and the ability to slap it in here. Because... Also, anyone who wants to do like a, a, a cover version of it in a different style, that's fine. Uh, I, will, I will happily, I would say Ooh. eagerly, hear uh, sensitive acoustic versions of it. That would be great. Um, oh my god. Yeah, feel free to <laughs> uh, record those and send them to us. I'm really not joking. That yeah. would that would make my day. Yeah, that would be fabulous. But we're back now. And we can talk about Fantastic Four issue 36. Yes. Which is so funny that we ended up holding over from the last episode because it really is like the first part of everything that happens for the, all the other issues. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, well, yes and no. I guess for me, I'm kind of okay. It is for me because it mm-hmm. starts with the engagement. I see what you're the saying. The wedding yeah. runs through, yeah. and also it's the first appearance of Medusa or Madame Medusa. Yes, in this issue, and that really does run all the way through these issues. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I, it's funny. I I think of apart from there's a there's some weird. Issue 37 is kind of, which we'll get to, is a weird anomaly in this set of issues. Yes. Um, no, no, it's not as if it's a straight line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. There are, there yeah. are some but, interesting detours going on Yeah, but, uh, in this. But, I mean, even the, the, and I think we're both going to be big fans of it, but the Daredevil Doctor Doom 2 Parker. Oh, yeah. Is, is, is very uh, odd in many ways and doesn't fit in with this run of issues. But, but overall, I think that, uh, 36 is, is the start. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And at the time I really made a lot of grumpity grump noises, uh, at the, at the end of our previous podcast, talking about how I felt the frightful four was a, it was a dead end, is what you were basically arguing. Yeah, it was. It, it was a. It was a dead end. It was almost a necessary dead end to explore. I mean, it's very odd, even for the Fantastic, for any of the Marvel titles at the time. It is very, very strange to see a team like the Frightful Four appear so many times in such a short number of issues. And admittedly, um, once once we get past them, I'm into. Um, once we get past the Galactus issues, I'm pretty much in new territory for me. I'm I was much better read on the or the the back half first half of the FF, but they don't really come back that I can think of. Do they? Do they pop up after? Uh, I know I want to see the Fred for sticker. Well, later, but not in the. I don't think they pop up again in the remainder of the Lee Kirby issues. Yeah, so I mean that's kind of amazing if you think about it. Here's a bunch of characters that pop up something like five times in 10 issues or something like that. And, and supposedly in three different storylines and then, and then they're just gone forever because I think that this is really to me. And I, I could be, I could be entirely wrong for, for a couple of reasons I'll, I'll put forward in a minute, but I really feel like this is very much a, the fantastic four, the way that Stan Lee would sort of want it done. You know, if Stan Lee was the the main dude in charge of plotting the book, we would have seen variations on this for the, you know, the next how blankety blank number of issues until Kirby leaves. If, if Lee had had his way now, a huge, 
a ridiculously large um, asterisk next to that is I think someone could actually make the case that, you know, Kirby, for the most part, it's still doing a lot of plotting here, um, not least of which because it seems like Stan has to pull out any number of reasons to explain why things are seemingly going awry. But <laughs> even he cannot explain, and it, it uh, maybe it's better to talk about this when we get to the Inhumans, what the fuck Medusa is doing here in the Frightful Four and then later doing in the Inhumans and how oh, she's it's, supposed it's, to be the same character at all. Yes, because the Madame Medusa, as appears in issue 36, which mm-hmm. fans, is have the Fabulous FF finally met their masters in the Frightful Four? <laughs> uh, also, have the Fabulous FF finally met their masters in the Frightful Four? That's a question. And yet, the punctuation? That's an exclamation point. <laughs> Good work, Grammar 4. Um, but the Madame Medusa that appears here is a very, very, very different character. Yes. It's hilarious reading this stuff now from the point of view of you know Medusa as the, the Inhuman. Yeah. Because when she first appears, she is an entirely different character who literally shows up out of a fucking cave. Yes. Beating up cops. Yes. And you know what's amazing? And and this is, maybe I can talk about it when we get to it, is reading this stuff and being frustrated, I realize there is absolutely a 100% awesome excuse in the story, in, in, the, in these issues to explain it, that does not get used, which I find fascinating. fascinating. Oh, I, I will, when that is, when you feel that is the right time to say that, then say that, because I'm super curious. Yeah. Yeah, I w- uh, I will break that out. But yeah, issue thirty six is uh, it's a tw- it's a very weird issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it there's many things that are strange about it. Not least of which is it's the first time where we have all new villains in the book who are not created for the book. Yes, uh, and so seeing Pastepot Pete, the Sandman, and the Wizard show up and basically be like. We first appeared in Strange Tales. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it was super weird mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I'm so used to the characters having their debuts in Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. So when you have characters from another series show up and it's not the heroes who are quite clearly doing guest spots so you buy their books yes. when, when it's the villains. And then when those villains go on to play such an important part in the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. uh, it's a weirdly disconcerting experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that said... And I know you dislike the Frightful Four. I like the main trio of the Wizard, Pastepot, Pete, and Sandman here. You know, I feel I feel like my my bad mouthing of of the Frightful Four overstates things a little bit because honestly, especially the Frightful Four. When I was a kid, I kind of dug them. Um, in part because I just feel that if nothing else, the Sandman is just one of the all time great. Marvel villains. He yes. his powers are just absolutely relentlessly visual, and you know from just kind of a superhero fight nerd kind of way, he is such a fluid, dynamic character in terms of being able to switch from a super amazing offensive power to a super great defensive power, and it's just I, always and visual. Also- Mm-hmm. I love his character. Yes. Because in many ways, I feel that his character is 
the bad guy's Ben Grimm. Yes, exactly. And so it's, it's very fascinating when later in his life, he and Grimm basically become friends in Marvel 2 and one mm-hmm. And you have Sandman, that being a turning point for the Sandman, becoming a good guy for a large amount of time, for mm-hmm. like the next two decades or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, because much as Ben Grimm comes across as, or at least at this point in the book, has become the working class stiff as superhero. Yeah. I feel Sandman is the working class stiff as supervillain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that's actually a good point. And, and to in that regard, there is a lot that is great about... One of the things that I think is really interesting about these issues generally is, you know, Lee and Kirby have come so far as storytellers, as, you know, developing the mythos of the Fantastic Four, getting a sense of the characters. Um, but it's interesting to me how... Uh, either either they're working at some level that is super, super, super subtle about subtext or completely oblivious. Because there is a way in which... <laughs> I am sure it's oblivious. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And it's sort of a shame because there are some great scenes of basically the idea that that almost plays out in these issues but doesn't is the idea that the Frightful Four are stronger than the Fantastic Four or they're certainly more ruthless and therefore it looks like they win it's certainly the first few times they they fight to a draw and then more or less win you know scrape snatch victory from the jaws of defeat in in issue 38 I think or uh, but is is the idea that they are they literally because they're not a family they're sort of the ff if they continued being those bickering characters from issue 1 or issue 2 they're kind of always on each other's butts they're always half you know it's not the playful fighting particularly the romantic competition that breaks out for medusa yes. is is very much the uh the thing in reed richards very early yes. competition for mm-hmm. Sue, mm-hmm. but which gets sw- swept under the rug very, very quickly. Yeah. But um, but played out. Mm-hmm. So when you have the Wizard and Sandman and Baseball Pete, everyone yeah. wants Medusa. Right. Um, but when you have them openly competing in that way, mm-hmm. and and some of the comments that they make mm-hmm. uh, feels very much like the things because the thing he he never actually says it as bluntly as this but mm-hmm. the subtext in the early issues for when the thing is is desiring sue mm-hmm. is basically like i can give her what a re- i'm a real man i can give her what you can't yeah, yeah and yeah. and sandman basically outright says that later yeah. on i i think i think ben very well in issue one or two does say something along the lines of like why are you with that milk sop etc cetera, etc cetera. you know kind yeah. of your standard yeah. But so, yeah, it does change very much. So the ways in which the Frightful Four are a mirror of the Fantastic Four, I think one of the reasons why I'm frustrated by it is is it's such a distant mirror. It's a little bit closer, like I said, to, um, you know, 
Stan and Jack doing something closer to traditional superheroes. You know, it's like, oh, you got a Justice League, here's an Injustice gang. You got Superman, you got Bizarro. Like, the mirror imagery in Marvel is, for the most part, it's it's a lot more... If it's in there, it's at, it's at best occluded. You know what I mean? Well, sure, but it's been in Fantastic Four already, because we've had Red Ghost and Super Apes, who are themselves the bizarro fantastic four they are the bizarro fantastic four but of course they're the they're the they're the they're fantastic apes. yeah exactly they're the fantastic four sort of as apes he has apes as with as only one apes. working character exactly the rest of them just want to be fed um so so yeah giving giving these characters something to do uh i do have to say though that that, that i feel that issue 36 all the way through uh, 40, let's say, let's keep saying that I know what I'm talking about in issue 43 is the first appearance of Gorgon. Because um, uh, I don't even really know if that's true at this point. I really it's think it's 44. 44, I think. We'll no, 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 let's see, let's see here. Because I'm sure you're right. Oh, fuck me, that was 1965, not 66. Um, yeah, yeah, it is, it's 44. Yeah, you're, yeah, it's 44. Okay, right, sorry. So... Th- 36 through 43 being this weirdly um, strangely thematic set of stories or just stories that uh, in many cases are one long epic in the, in the sense of a story spilling over into another story, into another story. Um, but oh, God, I, I lost my fucking point actually. <laughs> <laughs> So so worried was I about issue forty four. Oh, is this just that? I think Kirby's story, Kirby's storytelling is so dynamic. Um, one of the things oh, that's it's, great it's about this amazing, like ish, every issue he bumps up. Yeah, yeah, and just just in terms of you know, despite the other stuff that we see, where it's just an amazing leap, this stuff is just such astonishingly entertaining comics like page after page after page of just such dynamic storytelling and and that's the thing my bitching about the the frightful four even issue 36 in its way is pretty ridiculous because these are at least you know from from the sense of there just being non-stop action and kirby telling it just so well they're they're the most entertaining issues like each one manages i think to up the ante on the previous issue in terms of the amount of action and just how with such confidence that kirby's telling it you know well i agree with you with the exception of issue 37 yeah i think that's i think that's probably solid yeah Right. So 36 is the first appearance of the Fright Four, first appearance of Medusa under the name Madame Medusa. Yeah. Um, and she and the, they they defeat the team mm-hmm. for one, it, more or less. Mm-hmm. It it you know the team obviously comes back, but but they win. They mm-hmm. do win. Yeah. Um, and then on 37, you have another scroll story where everyone has to act weirdly out of character for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, so issue thirty-seven is called "The Fabulous FF Actually Invades Another Gal." Actually, it's called "Behold a Distant Star," but the, the caption above is "The Fabulous FF Actually Invade Another Galaxy." And guess what? They do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because out of nowhere, Sue is essentially says, "I can never rest until we have killed the people who killed my father." Yes. Which is 
What? It's it's, it's crazy. It it's 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 just, it's um, okay. All the reasons that are crazy about it are. I mean, there's so many reasons. I sort of like the idea that somebody may or may not have pointed out to to Stan, like, hey, you know, like. Sue Storm's dad sort of basically was exploded by another planet and everybody just shrugged and went back to doing what they're doing. They're, they're, in other words, one of the things I like, it's one of the few examples of, of, for what I could think of as a lack of a better term, is like active continuity, where the characters do something because of something that happened in a previous issue. You know what I mean? As opposed to the passive continuity of like, oh, look, it's the Mole Man again. You know what I mean? Like, Well, we've we've talked in the past about Lee and Kirby writing across purposes. Yes. And I would not be surprised if this is Kirby having a problem with Lee's dialogue in that issue. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that makes a lot of sense because on the one hand, it's, yeah, there's there's a lot of things here that kind of don't, make sense and jibe and, and and I think that's actually a really elegant explanation as to like what, kind of, what the hell is happening yeah although again there's there's there are really weird if nothing else let's put it this way to me there's a lot of ways in which if Kirby is driving this bus which makes a lot of sense it you can it, it's easier to explain things as to why Sue wants this done and Johnny's reaction is basically yelling, what? You must be joking, Reed, when like Reed announces that they're going to go do it. Like, I'm like, John, you know, there the times where it's like someone has to point out that Sue and Johnny are related it seems to happen a lot in these, these runs of the Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> The relations were different back then. Yeah, I guess so. They were just like one person cared about the dad, the other one person cared but, about. But but it's a very it's a very Kirby idea. It's a very Kirby idea, and it's that, a like, very that, Kirby have execution. To actively to, uh, acknowledge the death. Yeah, that that it can't just go unpunished. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's, it's, it's this issue is just a very very strange strange issue mm-hmm. uh and and in, in, in so many ways uh the the fantastic four and it, we've talked about this in the past as well mm-hmm. that they create things that if it was ever mentioned again or ever used again you'd be like wait that's fucking massive right but the fantastic four cross like cross the galaxy like go to another galaxy yes reed richards invents a whole new form of propulsion through space mm-hmm. and space travel mm-hmm. um and and it's it's never mentioned again. But like, but right. they make a big deal out of it because that's what they do in in this era of Fantastic Four. Yes. Later yeah. on, it sort of becomes you know, oh, Reed's created another of his doohickeys. Right. Whereas in this, you get Reed explaining it for a page. Yeah. You, you know. Get, right. Right. You get Reed drawing diagrams. Yeah. Remember Einstein's theory that the universe is like a ball? We're in subspace now, inside that ball, ready to break out into the Skrull galaxy. And he's drawn a fucking, like, diagram. Which is hilarious. Which is literally X for Earth. A ball marked subspace. Yes. And then X on the other side, Skrull galaxy. Yeah. So, you know, he's dumbing it down. He's but, dumbing it down, and of course, in true Stanley fashion, not quite understanding what Jack Kirby's talking about, too. At the same but time, I mean, the whole thing is is 
is wacky. Uh, and also that reading that was when I was like, oh, this is this is the point where either Lee or Kirby, if they were thinking in terms of uh, this is a franchise we're going to have to keep going for a long time, mm-hmm. would have pulled back. Right. Right, right. Because because it's all happening so quickly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Rita's done this three years into the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know where else does he go after this? Well, you know, again, there's some there's some very I think that and and I think that again is part of the deal where it's easy to look and see Kirby in that. You know, because Kirby. Didn't think ahead. Kirby didn't think ahead. He was yeah. very much, he was of the moment. And in fact, you can see how that happens because this is a period, particularly here, the thing that's uh, astonishing about this issue is you have the Fantastic Four, they go through space to hit the Scroll planet, and as a result, supposedly, of subspace travel or whatever, we never find out for sure, I don't think, they lose their powers. Which is fine, except two issues from now, they're going to lose their powers again, and that's yes. going to get completely played out. And and amazingly enough, there's going to be the same Deus Ex Machina that is broken out there that's broken out then. And again... And, and when you say the same, you mean literally the same. The, the exact same device. And one of the things that I think, again, to me, is a, a fine sign that Kirby is for the most part, driving the bus through a lot of this is the fact that, that Lee doesn't know. Like there's a yes. lot of like, yes. he doesn't. The, when we get to the, the <laughs> next time, the Fantastic Four loses their powers, he actually has to have one of the characters say something along the lines of, Hey, why didn't you do this earlier? Yes. And, and because and, it makes that little sense. Yeah. And and because clearly lead, yeah. he didn't know that that's what the resolution was going to be. So he couldn't see it. Yes. Because he sees it in exactly the opposite in, like, Reed Richards, the harsh taskmaster, acting like a super dick, which is, which is, which God, is, is that one of Stan's favorite yeah, tropes? Yeah, exactly. You know? it's, Stan, Stan's, it's Stan's favorite thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so there's, there's, 37 is a very, very strange issue. Yeah. Uh, and the, the resolution of 37 is really, really strange as well. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you essentially have the scrolls being like, we're peaceful. Right. We, we were never, like, we, we're not bothered with Earth at all. It was just that one guy who kept pushing and pushing and bugging and bugging. And it's like, sort of like, I didn't go back and reread the issues, but I'm like, I'm relatively sure, sir, that that is not even likely yeah. remotely yes. true. There, there is nothing that's true about that. Yeah. You had a fucking invasion force, like, planned earlier on. Several of them, and in fact, you're striking, you, the Emperor in particular, are striking back at... Yeah, no, it's very strange, but then on the other hand, I, I, I love the fact that Kirby doesn't even remember that the scrolls can change shape. As far as I can tell, well, it doesn't even the, remember what the scrolls look like. Well, okay, there's coloring problems in the originals, but you know sure, the whole but also, thing. They don't really look like the scrolls. No, they kind of don't. I mean, they don't. They don't look like the scrolls did in er, any earlier appearance of the scrolls. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They're only colored slightly. You're right. Huh. It would be great if, like, yeah. No, I mean, there's clearly got to be some some other. I mean, it's. For all we know, Stanley invented the whole scroll thing. Yeah, it, the whole Kirby revenge like, thing. Wouldn't it, it be amazing if it like, was just Kirby was just like it's other aliens. 
Right. It's almost like, let's make them scrolls. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, because you don't see Kirby's a pretty good fan, pretty good about when a story has a flashback, he throws a panel in there. I mean, not great, but you see him do it, right? Like, I just have this weird thing of like, what if, you know, Sue, I don't know, just sort of like, what if the whole story was kind of pulled out of Stanley's ass? Like, you know, Kirby does this whole issue of like, yep. So what happens is like Sue's kind of depressed that she feels that she's holding Reed back and Reed flies her across space. And then they find this another amazing planet and they end up killing this guy who's a big bully. And Reed's like, where where's the personal investment in all any of this in in any of this? Because, you know, there is kind of a weird like. The, the the ending isn't a like oh justice has been served kind of thing. The ju- the ending is like oh ha, 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 we barely made it back in time for wedding rehearsal. What a laugh! Exactly. And you know those wacky guys and we're like hey let's rehearse this wedding. Yeah, it's it's all of it is tonally absolutely wacky. Yeah, but yes, the letter column in this is <laughs> amazing. Do you know the letter I'm talking about? Um, George Carter from uh, Wolverhampton about communism. Oh no, no, that's the one that sets off this huge firestorm too. Oh, it's... so here is here is the letter, and then I'll read Stan's answer, and mm-hmm. you guys will understand why I was like, oh, yeah, dear Stan and Jack, I was deeply shocked recently by certain letters which appeared in an edition of Fantastic Four. These were the letters which condemned the communist doctrine as being dangerous. One of these letters even suggested that your magazine should continue to make slanderous allegations against the communists. To this, I must object most strongly. Your magazines are intended to be used for entertainment, not political indoctrination. I would point out that by using your magazines for propaganda, you are constantly provoking the socialist nations to take action. This action would end with the total destruction of this planet. (laughs) I, sorry, as a member of a left-wing organization... I can state categorically that we have no ill will towards America and only wish that this was a mutual feeling. Yes. That letter in and of itself is is great. Mm -hmm. Especially the, listen, if you keep poking us, we're going to fucking destroy the planet. Well, see, I'm sorry, Graham. This is not fair to say to you, but I find this letter exquisitely British. You know? Oh, it's, it's, (laughs) in its passive aggression, it is wonderful. Um, Stanley's response, though. Yeah. George, if you want to be a member of a left-wing organization in England, that's your business. We won't take the time to answer your remarks now, as we're sure that many of our loyal, democratic British fans can and will answer you far more sagely than far more sagely than we. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh, I mean, I miss that. Everything about that is astounding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good job, Stan. That's, I'm so glad you published that one. That that definitely couldn't go wrong. Well, it's interesting uh, how it goes on to play out in later episodes, because you still have... Well, let's put it this way. Stan has realized the genius of putting one negative letter in a letters page, and then having later issues have dogpiling of other letter writers taking umbrage at what the original letter writer said. Yeah. Cause I didn't see this one, but I, I was like three issues down the road looking through the letters pages going, what's with this? Who's this George yeah, guy that everyone George. keeps Why talking does everyone about? Hit George? Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. No idea. There's that. And there's a guy who takes Stan Lee to task for his grammar that later on just gets 
pummeled in the pages as well. So I was like, mm, well done, Stan. Issue <laughs> uh, 37 in general then is it's wacky as hell. And and I think we can politely say best left ignored. Yeah, it's sort of like it's one of those classic like, I never even knew this issue existed and now I know why. Kind exactly. Of and yeah. now I know it does. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to try and pick up the pace so we can actually get 10 episodes, 10 issues done. Oh, Jesus, the and the annual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Um, issue 38, mm-hmm. Task Force 38, is called The Fabulous FF Incredible As It May Seem Are Defeated by the Frightful Four. Uh, and they are. But is it incredible? Because they kind of defeated them last time as well. It is the second of three Frightful Four stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and by stories, I mean storylines because the third one is a three-parter i think isn't it yeah and and arguably since it i don't know i mean it's so weird because let's let's just keep going because because the way that it (laughs) the way that they the stories string together you know you move so quickly from this to daredevil and dr doom and then from daredevil and dr doom immediately back to these guys it's almost like there's this this amazing two-part intermission to one longer well, story. But also, this is the issue, I'd argue, where uh, continuity becomes such a thing that the stories just don't stop. Yes. The end of this directly leads into the next issue. Exactly. That story directly leads into the next storyline. Yep. To the point where, by the time you get to issue 48, the resolution of the Inhuman storyline is seven pages. Yes. And then you're onto a completely different story. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. so, with, with issue 38, the... the uh, the format of the book has changed dramatically. We used to, when we started, mm-hmm. you know, you'd have what really seemed like, you know, three distinct chapters an issue, and yes. it would be a one-issue story. Mm-hmm. And now you're getting to the point where the stories are just going to be as long as they're going to be. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, exquisitely so. That thing that we were sort of talking about, about Kirby or Lee or both being uncomfortable with the idea of how like you know that idea of like almost having to structure it like three eight page stories or having to jam three threats into like even one single issue you know the Mm -hmm. primary secondary tertiary thing i was talking about that's all gone it's all velocity here it's it's such an interesting and sudden leap Mm mm-hmm because like 36 and 37 do not have this and all of a sudden with 38 it's a whole new form of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, issue 38 also features my favorite uh, obvious edit of dialogue on the page, which is the first panel of page three. Hey, yes. Rubberhead, you want I should catch her for you? And catch has obviously been written by someone else because Ben is clearly saying spank. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Yeah. And that's a little bit of uh, of I mean it is it is a clear spanking and it's fascinating the way that Stan like just takes that off the table like immediately like no 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 but clearly it was there first because the, yes. you can see from the lettering that it's been that b- uh, balloon has been lettered by two different people oh interesting yeah the catcher you're right oh I'm sorry I see what you're saying but yes absolutely so I don't know if it is Stan that took it off the table. Someone took it off the table, but at some point that's its bank. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think I think that's probably true. It, it's the, let's say the spanking the spanking was on the table, and then the spanking was very much off the table. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but 
everything about that uh, horseplay opener, yeah, is kind of great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you get Sue fucking with Reed by messing his hair. Yes, and then they're they're all playful. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind of you know, thing that you don't see that super happen. charming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there, there's after the 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 disaster that is issue thirty seven. Mm-hmm. Thirty eight is kind of great, and and again, I know you're not the biggest fan of of the Frightful Four, but mm-hmm. when you look at things like page six, the full page spread of the Wizards taking his revenge on the team. Oh God, yes, isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just such an amazing page. Also, yeah. we should talk about the fact that the art in this is mm-hmm. just great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've said before that I think Chickstone is actually a really good inker for Kirby, mm-hmm. and you know uh, there are certain panels here where he proves that. Yes, I agree. I agree. Although I think, I feel like, interestingly enough, hmm, and I could be wrong, but I feel like Kirby himself is getting stronger, like maybe he's doing more complete pencils, because you see some stuff with him being inked by Vince Coletta that can, on, on the one, like, can go from looking amazing to shoddy from panel to panel. But it's almost as if um, it's not really until Senate comes in that you get something that just, you know, so snaps into place so forcefully that you can practically hear it click when you when you see it on the page, you know. Yeah. Um, but, it's, it's, but yeah, it's, there's it's beautiful so stuff close, here. So close. There's, yes. there's some amazing art in this. Well, um, and, and again, you were talking about velocity. This is a story that really fucking moves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It does not that that that. The, that horseplay, which we're used to seeing as part of the Fantastic Four in the early issues, normally ran at least at a least page longer. Yeah, yeah, if not two pages longer. Here, it's like you've got an amazing dynamic full page splash. You've got the horseplay, and then well, boom, it's but gone. Can we and also talk about the, if the Frightful Four is the reverse of the Fantastic Four? Mm-hmm. That you go from the horseplay of the Fantastic Four to the horseplay of the Frightful Four. Yes. Yes, and it's the same. It's an. It's again three pages. Right, that's a good and, point. And as you get the, and this is the part where it's like they're clearly meant to be a mirror image because the horseplay of the four ends with the torch leaving the group. The mm. then immediately quits to the wizard rejoining the group. Yes, yeah, it's a re, It's it's like, like it's an inverse. Mirror, yeah, exactly, mirror image, and it does end with with the wizard fucking everybody up in a full page thing that is not it's not funny it's not shenanigans it's supposed to be terrifying you know yeah. the wizard is you know hands down supposed to be the bad dad in that sense you know mm-hmm. and yeah. and and everyone is being brutalized as a result of it so yeah which is you know it, it, there's there's such interesting stuff there mm-hmm. um and from then we then go to sue not realizing that Madame Medusa is pretending to be a fashion designer, yes. which I kind of love. Yeah, yeah, that's well and very weird because she because once again Medusa is like naturally the wizard helped me design it, which in that same sort of way that like Sue can't do like can't do a single judo throw without like giving Reed all the credit is kind of yes a, you know it was it's. Uh... Let's let's be let's call a spade a spade, Jeff. Uh, Stanley doesn't really like empowered women. Oh man, 
it's it is fascinating, isn't no, but, it? Like, like he really doesn't because no. a woman can't do something without thanking a man for it. In, in, at least in Fantastic Four. Oh, and and actually in this one, it's funny because this is the issue. So Sue gets uh, kidnapped by the frightful four. We get the return of High Drama Reed, which is probably my least favorite read. It's hard to believe that anything could could beat out bad leader, self-righteous read, but High Drama Reed is terrible. Um, but there's a panel where he's like, this is the reason I shied away from romance all these years. Once an enemy knows that one of us is in love, he can strike at us through our loved one. This is a page yeah, seven pa- panel. Page nine. Uh, oh, nine, sorry. Yeah. Page nine. Jesus Christ, why does that look like a seven to me? Going blind. And Ben says, I know how you feel, Reed. If anyone ever tried to harm Alicia. And again, this is one of Stan's weird, like Ben is friends with Sue and Johnny is her brother. But A, only the man in love with a woman is allowed to be worried for her. And his worry is all consuming than all that matters. And B, the other men aren't even aren't really allowed to worry for her. Only worry about the man with the feelings for the woman. You know what I yes. mean? Like Ben is like everyone is really they're close to Sue. Sue isn't just Reed's girlfriend, but here it's very much treated as if Reed's anguish is the only thing that matters, even arguably more than Sue's safety itself. Which is kind of it's it's Stan's got his his issues. That certainly that certainly is clear as these things yes. go. Uh, so. I'm talking about other Stanley issues. Uh, it's interesting that throughout this entire issue. Much as Stan feels compelled to have other people talk about how smart Reed is, mm-hmm. uh, the wizard feels compelled to tell everyone how smart he is and why that makes him the best. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that it's a good point. I oh, also right on on that is it on the same page? Uh, yes, page seven, the last panel. I love that. Uh, I love. That, I love that Stan uses the phrase "recently abandoned by a powerful Asiatic power." I'm like. Hmm, that's some speedy writing. It's, it's like from Asia. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, again, it's just it's just a delightfully fast um, story. I love I love how quickly Ben and Reed fuck up the Frightful Fours, as, you know, ship, you know, and kind of that idea of like, oh, right. in, in such a great way mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Reed turns himself into a spring and Ben just launches himself on the ship. Catapults himself in, yells Geronimo, and then all but cripples the ship. Uh, and then... Except, interestingly enough, in the very next panel, Medusa says, our ship is undamaged. <laughs> which I love. It's like, well, why have you stopped then? Yeah, it's a temporary... If the ship is undamaged. Yeah. Why are you running away from the ship? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They have... They. It's just one of those deals where... Stan needs to set up the fact the the big climactic ending and there's not space to have him say like oh they fixed it or something like that. I mean it almost kind of makes sense. There are times where there's the weird capricious choices that Stan makes, you know, that that have to do with his rules about like you know, heroes not being able to be surprised or attacked from behind or that they can't really be weak or, you know, and Reed has to be the best in all situations, which is far more capricious. But but there are times where he makes choices that I think are solid ones. And I feel like I feel like maybe saying 
saying something about the ship so that you so that when they escape later it's not just it's You're not like, confusing for yeah. people I, you know um also interesting in this issue after i talked about stan being unable to let the woman have power mm-hmm. sue sue does free herself yes she immediately collapses afterwards yes but she does get free of of the the paste that has tied her together. Yeah. Isn't it back in issue 36, the first showdown with the Frightful Four, where she, like, in like uses the force field to pull Paste Pete's gun and then shoots Medusa's hair with it or something? That was really badass, I think. I don't remember, but if so, then that's great. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. Good job, so. Sue. Um, <laughs> in our long-running, uh, Jeff has a crush on Sue Storm when she doesn't look great. Yes. Um, I'm going to say that Sue Storm with Bangs is my favorite Sue Storm so far. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. So, like, uh, page 19, panel 3 or something? Or Sure. sure. She's got Bangs through the whole issue, Jack. I guess she <laughs> I suppose, if you say so. Whatever. Uh, this issue ends with a cliffhanger. This is uh, what we were saying before is that they all run together. Yes. This issue ends with a cliffhanger, which is... Uh, either a prediction or an inversion, because I'm not sure of publication dates, of the Doom Patrol getting killed on their Pacific island. Oh, interesting. Uh, hmm. Because you have the Frightful Four... Yes. Uh, ...escaping. Yeah. That, that's actually the, a good point, yeah. While mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four are on an island that blows up in an atomic bomb. What is kind of great for me mm-hmm. is that you see them survive because Sue has held them all in a force field. Yes. But if you then go to the opening of issue 39. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, um, yeah. They're in a raft or something? They're in a raft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing they stole a raft from <laughs> Well, I, I like Actually, that's not true. They, it's, there's, they probably were just dished out by people in the raft. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. We're fished out and then taken to the larger boat. But it was it's such an odd... An odd uh, break i guess well um, speaking of odd Graham, do you think because this is what struck me this may be the first issue i think in the history of superhero comics where an island explodes with the heroes on it and that explosion is not the last panel you know what i mean like the maximum drama is them is the island blowing up and will they survive? And in this one, you see them you flying. You see them survive. You see them survive, which is really a weird, weird note. Again, I sort of feel like that's well, a little isn't, bit Well, it isn't a... because, because that leads into the main drama of the next two issues. Yes. So I think both Lee and Kirby knew, well, it was obvious to everyone the team wasn't going to die. Yeah. The book's continuing. <laughs> um. But showing them surviving, but showing them surviving and being comatose adds an element of drama that would otherwise not have been present. Well, comatose, and you can already see Ben Grimm turning back to the thing. I mean, back to Ben Grimm, which is one of those weird deals of like (laughs) trying to figure out the sweet spot of the fact that Sue can use her force field while unconscious, which is kind of yeah, a new exactly. one, but yeah. a gimme. Me- meanwhile, Ben is losing his powers. Yeah. yeah. At, what, at what rate are they all losing their powers? Yeah, exactly. exactly. But it, I mean, it does end with a startling change begins to take place amongst them. Yeah. So the drama is what is happening to them, not are they dead? Because you know they're not dead. Yes, that is true. That is true. Um, so issue 39. 
Yes, a uh, blind man shall lead them is what I'm going to call it. <laughs> sure. Uh, for all our listeners at home, just in brackets before that, put the fabulous <laughs> FF reach out in desperation only to find ellipses. Close brackets. Uh, this is the first part of a two-part story with Doctor Doom and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is described as one of the most startlingly different FF sagas you have read, and I am going to say right now, best art of the series to date because Frank Robbins Inks or Frankie Ray as he's called here are fucking stellar. Thank you. So it was Frank Robbins, huh? Okay. Yeah. Because I thought I thought those inks are amazing. I thought so too and I fully expected you to kind of crap on them. So uh, that's fascinating. Well, good deal. Because all the other times when I've liked guys, you're like, oh God, no! George Russo's what's wrong with you? But (laughs) um, yeah, so this is this is this is such a Honestly, um, it's it's so we've talked before about the repeated plots. Mm-hmm. And this is not the first time the Fantastic Four have lost their powers. It's literally happened two issues earlier. <laughs> um, exactly. But for some reason, they're all so upset about it this yeah. time yeah. in a way that they never were before. Right. Right. In the past, when they've lost their powers, they'd be like, oh, fuck, we'll just get over it. Yeah. And this time, they're inconsolable. Yeah. Yeah. It is It is really the drama cranked up to high. And once again, you get Reed driving everyone like a taskmaster, which is hilarious when later the, the deus ex machina of issue 37 gets broken out to cure everyone. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just needed time to recharge so that I was, um, you know, I just, it was important that we have these artificial suits until then. Yeah, yeah, Bullshit. Yeah. So, but I love, I, it's, it was clearly never going to happen. Yeah. But I love the idea that the book might have had them all lose their powers and then replace them with technology permanently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been so bold. I think so, if, too. If they'd stuck with it. If yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're three and a half years in, and we've decided that we're, we need to switch things up. And so what we've done to switch things up is we've decided that they're all going to kind of have the same powers, but they're not going to be natural anymore. It's going to be technological. Yeah. Well, and and also what's fabulous is the way in which they struggle with their powers is just it's is really awesome like i i love everything about those sequences um especially ben grimm having to like yell into his little remote control thing to like make himself sound like the thing you know like there's just such a great it's just it's so taken for granted that a no one will think it's the thing if he's not talking constantly and he has to sound like him, which means you've got Ben Grimm like yelling into this little periscope that's also supposed to be the cybernetic control for the thing robot. It's 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 just awesome. It's awesome, you know. Uh, and also, and I'll have to put this panel up on the the website. The panel where you first see them in their revised costumes. Yes. And Sue has an amazing amount of wires all over her, which is kind of an awesome look. Mm-hmm. Um, and Johnny is wearing what today looks like a motion capture suit. Yeah, a motion capture slash gimp suit. But yeah, completely. You're right. Actually, once you mentioned the green with the little dots, he is. Yeah, no, it's really... Um... Kirby just has a ton of visual fun with this uh, in a way that's fun, but also very filled with drama. Like, yes. I don't feel like you really need um, 
Lee trying to have Reed crank everything up to 11, you mm-hmm. know, to, to get the, the drama inherent in some of this stuff. I also, I have to say between this and uh, this next issue and FF annual three, I really like how Kirby draws Daredevil. I don't know why it. No, I, I agree. So he a, good. He has, a, he has a very weirdly sleek Daredevil. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's sleek in a way that his other characters aren't. Yeah, right. Exactly. He every all the other characters can look weirdly. I don't know if it's a deal that the inkers insisted that they go over it, but it's almost as if you know. There's the the rumors that like Kirby had first crack at drawing Spider-Man, and in fact, you know, Kirby's insistence is he created the character. Um, but you know, Lee says that he thought that the way that he drew Spider-Man was too. Um, powerful and looking, I suppose. There's a way in which Kirby really kind of gets a chance to draw his Spider-Man through Daredevil, I think, you know? And so he can be big and bold and handsome, but it's a lot of the jumping around, you know, super fast reflexes type stuff that that's really charming. So, yeah, I really, I you know... I, I like this issue. I love the fact that, like, at one point, like, even though Kirby, like, even though Stan Lee calls it, like, a force beam projectile, Kirby has drawn basically a drone, you know, for yes. like tw- 20, whatever it is, 35 years before we have them. Um, and so Daredevil versus basically a drone that Reed Richards has invented is kind of a great little bit there's just so much stuff that i really liked about this issue in terms of like it's action and it's attractive and then oh no is there anything well, you want to say spell out before there, we jump there's no the there's something part? i want to say before we jump out which is we've not talked at all about the fact that uh not only do the ff lose their powers but they bring daredevil in essentially as a lawyer as matt murdoch the lawyer to say things are going to change and then dr doom attacks we haven't yes. talked about the fact that dr doom gets over the hypnosis that he was placed right. under at the end of Annual Two. That's right. And it's like, oh wait, th- I, they still exist. I guess I'm going to have to kill them. Yeah, uh, and is furious and, and about shows it. up mm-hmm. uh, at, in 39 to do that. But it isn't till 40 when he realizes they have no powers. Yes, which I really like. So issue 40 is called uh, the Battle of the Baxter Building, or if you're me, destined to take its place besides the battles of Waterloo, Gettysburg, and Dunkirk. <laughs> here is the Battle of the Baxter Building. Um, Clearly, it the is title. possibly the greatest action drama you'll read this year. Yeah, uh, that might be true if it wasn't for the fact that we're heading into other great Kirby Fantastic Four oh, stuff. Exactly. Um, uh, let's first of all talk about the fact that the art takes a leap backwards with the uh, addition of Vinnie Coletta. Thanks, Vinnie. There's yes. nothing that your weak ass inks can't make that a <laughs> little bit worse. But yeah, it's super it's a super, super fun issue. You know, I, I do have to say that that his inks, like everything just becomes a lot weaker. I mean, it's is fascinating to me the extent to which um I started off reading these issues in Marvel Unlimited because I kinda liked having the full page thing. And then I switched back to Marvel and to our GIT core stuff because the coloring and the reproduction took the pencils and, and kind of washed them out in the Marvel Unlimited. Here they're stronger, but you see, especially when Coletta s- steps in, how um, how literally weak the lines look. And, and once you throw in the color, things really start to wash out in ways that you 
people like uh, who followed like Coletta on Thor won't find surprising, except they're surprised by. I think it's surprising that it's even worse. I honestly didn't necess- didn't think you could get a worse um, Coletta ink on on Kirby. Oh, and 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 you can, and, and it's such a shame because it comes. He's Coletta is for his sins crushed between the great Frank Robbins inks and then yeah. Joe Sinnott. Yeah, like exactly. He's trapped, he's trapped between two guys who know how to use a line. Yeah, you know who know how to use a line, and also I feel like have uh because Coletta has a lot of um, you know, claims that he's always uh like let me get it in on time kind of thing. Like I, they people call me when they need it done, you know, and it's got to be there, and and so there he doesn't take the time. I mean to to really embellish. Like look at how how basic Daredevil's color scheme is. And if you look back at the previous issue with Frank Robbins, how he used the, the blacks much more judiciously to create a yes. sense of, of sort of dynamism in the figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here Daredevil becomes a lot less distinct. That yes. being said, I adore the page, page three where Daredevil like turns his billy club into a gun. Into a gun, yes, it's the best. I mean, and and I say that because it's like on the one hand, it's just so ridiculous, and yet with Kirby, the design a is phenomenal, and b look at that first panel on page three where Daredevil's leaping in the air is oh, like it's, the... it's again the inks are horrible, but mm-hmm. everything else about that is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Kirby is just really on fire in terms of his storytelling dynamism here it just it just makes me cry another another page page five where the ff are getting you know brutalized as soon as they walk into the baxter building and it's all these amazing kirby effects and then you have daredevil sneak in the back while dr doom's like looking through his Viewmaster, like just just dynamic storytelling i love that last panel on the page where like daredevil's whipping his billy club at, at Dr. Doom and Dr. Doom's evading it. And it's like Kirby's just figured out this sweet spot in terms of the amount of noise he can introduce into the page while keeping the action crystal clear. I mean, it's just stunning to me. Um, so let's, let's talk about the action for a bit because as much as I was like, well, it's not really the, the greatest action drama. Um, the showdown between the thing and Dr. Doom. Yes. is amazing oh we should before we get to that we should say that um when jeff said before that the resolution of the fantastic war having lost their powers would be the same day as like machina he wasn't joking yeah it is literally the same gun mm-hmm. that gave the fantastic Four the powers back when they were on the scroll planet yes literally and it is explained away in stanley's dialogue by basically oh i would have done it earlier but it needed recharged so <laughs> you know oh dear he turns Ben Grimm into the thing. Ben Grimm specifically says that he doesn't want to do it. Well, you know, actually, one of the things that I love about that is um, I do love, and I don't think that this pathos is intended, but Ben says, and to me, this is even worse. He's like, but maybe I don't want to become the thing again. And I love that because of the idea of he's flip-flopped back and yeah, forth he, he's, so he's many sure. times. Yeah, he's not sure. And so to me, the part that makes that work is it's not so much that he's like no don't make me the thing again and then and it's the fact that he's not sure 
but Reed won't even allow him to make the choice. You know what I mean? Like Reed's like too bad and changes. Which, him. which plays into the next issue. Spoilers. Uh, yes. Um, but the thing then goes after Dr. Doom. Yes. And it's a one-on-one fight. And as I said before, when we were talking about the annual before, Dr. Doom was just like, I've paralyzed you. Now I can beat you up. And the same is like, maybe I'll hypnotize you. And Ben Grimm beats the shit out of him. Yeah. It's, it's like, wonderful. He literally crushes his hands. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he keeps going. It's, it's literally, it's something like five pages and every page ends more or less with Ben Grimm, like on the ground or on his knees or being buried underneath rocks. And then he, the next page is him moving forward. It goes on for five pages until he grabs Dr. Doom's wrists and starts crushing. And of course I, I have to, I hope everyone doesn't mind, but uh, I have to quote Al Ewing here because Al Ewing mentioned the page where uh, the thing crushes Dr. Doom's wrists uh, in, in a comments page in a comment for our earlier podcast where he says, cause he talking about the, the Lee versus Kirby dynamic that we, we spent time looking at here. He goes on that front. I hope you'll tackle the amazing thing crushes doom's hands while Reed yells, you're doing it wrong from the next room moment. Literally three panels of it Ben really Grimm does. enjoying one of the greatest physical and psychological victories of the first 50 or so issues while Reed from off panel does everything he can in the limited space available to tear him down. Lest the lowly thing steal his fantastic crown glorious in its sheer toxicity, which I think is hilarious. And this is, this is what Reed says. No, Ben, stop. You'll kill him. And then says, Ben, listen to me. We want, we just want to end his threat, but we're not murderers. What is fascinating to me about these three panels as well is I was convinced at that point they were going to say that it was a Doctor Doom robot. Yes. Because you see the thing rip mm-hmm. wires out. Yeah. Yeah. There's wires out. But there's like the he was just, chest. He was mm-hmm. just fucking him up. Yeah. He's fucking him up. And so, okay. So there's a there's two weird things here for me. One is, uh, th- th- how do I put it? Like, so we see, I, I, part of me is as much as I, of course, adore just about everything that Al Ewing writes and I'm amused by the idea of sheer toxicity. I also think that there's a little, this may be one of the few times where, well, okay. I feel, I feel that on the one hand you have the story where basically, um, you know, in Fantastic Four Annual to the final victory of Dr. Doom, what happens is Dr. Doom matches minds with Reed Richards on the lower lawnmower man pong set or whatever. And Reed basically wins and convinces Dr. Doom that he's won. He basically hypnotizes him and he walks off. It seems to me with, with the elements that are set up in Fantastic Four Annual number two, both, you know, Reed Richards saying like, hey, there's something wrong with your equations. Dr. Doom saying shut up and then have being blown to bits. And then Reed uh, essentially defeating Dr. Doom at the most primal level that Dr. Doom fancies himself the superior, which is mental power. When Dr. Doom regains his power, 
he is inc- regains his memory. He's incredibly pissed off. And as I recall, he says some shit about Richards having tricked him and and he's so furious he backhands the hypnotist who had you know recovered his memory he flies to the baxter building he essentially usurps and i think this is very important he usurps all of reed richard's weapons he uses all of reed's tools to try and destroy the fantastic four yes so interestingly enough there is a a, the first half of this story is very much the idea that it is Dr. Doom coming for Reed. It's a Reed versus Doom story, right? Um, and then you get that situation where Ben Grimm is turned into the thing again. And suddenly it's very much about the thing. And it's a it's a weird change em up in pacing. I mean, it's brilliant, but part of me is like, unlike... Um, Unlike the sequence in Amazing Spider-Man uh, 33, where Spider-Man's trapped underneath heavy machinery and mm. his classic, like, I don't give up moment that's considered one of the all-time great I don't give up moments, you know, <laughs> in comic book history. This could have really, in its way, been that, but the focus kind of isn't right. I mean, yeah, if, it if, shifts. If I was allowed to travel back in time and replot this, or if we were allowed to do like the Fantastic Four TV show where we like could do the TV, like use these issues as like a template to go forward, um, I'm very intrigued with the idea that that the subtext of what's going on that is not mentioned in any way is the idea that Reed takes away Ben's ability to choose whether or not he wants to become the thing and ben is so murderously furious like literally on the verge of murder but not not dr doom he's so angry at reed that all that he literally takes it out on yeah yeah he fucks he basically fucks up reed richards by proxy so and which is such a like would be amazing if it was on the page, you know what I mean? But that's literally such a rejection of the way that Stanley Stanley could never get there. Whether or not Kirby was going there or not, that is not anything that that I think Lee could ever consider doing with the characters. Not only is it super super dark, but it's very much like the idea that that Reed was such a dick. The next issue is called the betrayal of Ben Grimm. And I like the ambiguity of it because to me, and it does not get mentioned. Everyone's Ben has been betrayed by Reed. And that's why even at the end, when he lets Dr. Doom walk off, he's still like, fuck all of you. I'm, I'm off the team. Yeah. Also, can we talk about the fact that uh, Ben's, Quite rightfully, he's like, where were the rest of you guys for the last five pages when I was beating up Doctor Doom? Oh, yeah. And the hilarious excuse is, oh, we, we, were, we were treating Daredevil's wounds and helping him to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I love the idea that Daredevil midway through the fight is like, listen, I've got to go. Yeah, well, because he got his hands fucked up. But just the idea that they're like, like, there's Doctor Doom. He's right there. And all three of them are like, 
We'll show you to the door. Do you need a sandwich? Well, where's the restroom? Because I kind of need to... Okay, Johnny, can you show him to the restroom? And Sue's like, I'm going to make him a sandwich. I'm going to make him a sandwich, Reed. He saved the team. The least he can do is get a sandwich to go with. You know what I mean? Like, in all of them, Reed's like, okay, I'll check my email while you guys are doing that. Because clearly, like, meanwhile, there's all this cacophony of noise and crashing about. And Reed's like, huh, I really thought my bank statement would have arrived by now. And Daredevil comes out of the bathroom like, wow, you guys have some really a nice art there and oh i know here's your sandwich do you want it here i have it on a plate no can i get it to go i think we have some tupperware here and johnny's like you know what did dory call for me because i'm just like how does this answering machine work again like it's i would have preferred if they just didn't like the all the rest they just of them they just didn't talk about it don't talk like, about it we They're just on got the here floor. yeah the whole idea it's like we had to show them the door it's like Stan, that is not where your priorities should lie. He really does have a way of like, okay, I get, there's times, believe me, Jack Kirby's plotting is um, can be challenging, I'm sure, to be able to, 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 to make the dots connect and things. In fact, there's a passive-aggressive slam on a bullpen's bulletin page that I don't know if I'm going to be able to find in the course of this before we stop recording, but I'll try and send it to you so we can put in. But it really is something like the guy was like, Oh, <laughs> you know, stands like that's the most passive thing that we've seen since the last Jack Kirby plot, you know, or something like, crazy. Oh, I didn't even say that, but it's that's crazy. Curious. Yeah. It's wow. like in the third or fourth bullpen bulletins thing where he's like complimenting a radio show or something crazy like that. It's astounding. So, um, should we jump to the brutal issue, betrayal yeah. of... Cause... Issue 41. The, uh, the Fabulous Fantastic Four are stunned by the brutal betrayal of Ben Grimm. Yes. Uh, and again, like you said, it's very ambiguous. Is Ben Grimm doing the betraying or is he has he been betrayed? Yeah. Yeah. And... I mean, let's face it. Stanley wrote it. It's He's clearly meaning it as Ben Grimm is, being the, is doing the betraying. Yes. But as a reader, uh, I'm not really sure that's the way it works. Exactly. Well, and there is a lot of, again, under... Uh, the way the story is told, there is a, there's a lot of Reed is not able to leave it alone, which is a way that because an, in Kirby plotting, the idea that Reed can't leave Ben alone, even though Ben is insisted because Reed feels guilty. Um, I don't think that's nearly there as much, as much as everyone's like, Oh yeah. Who can blame who can blame him? Who can blame him for being upset? Who can blame him? No one ever really gets around to blaming Reed for what he's done, which is interesting because I do think that the idea that Reed is responsible for fucking people up is something that we don't, the first taste of that, I don't know if we get a first taste of it before Lee leaves the book, but we do start mm -hmm. to see that come in once Lee is gone in a way that is both interesting and maybe arguably too late. But in the storytelling oh, it's, here, it's far too late. It's a hundred, like it's ten years in. Jeff. Oh well, it's ten years in, but they give. Let's put it this way: unlike other issues, like here, where it's like, ah, oh, what can you do? Who's to be blamed? You know, Jerry Conway very specifically has Sue turn to Reed and say, "You're to blame. It's your fault." You know, so, something that's really interesting about Betrayal of Ben Grimm is Alicia comes in mm -hmm. on page four, and she says. The most obvious thing, mm -hmm. which is, how could you let him go? Mm -hmm. And Johnny responds with, I've been wondering that myself. And Reed's pretty much just like, he's a grown man. Right. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And 
it's fascinating to me that they raise it mm-hmm. and then they just don't address it. Well, because again, there's a little, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, I I feel Lee versus Kirby here. Like, you know, there's that idea of Alicia comes in and I feel in Kirby plots, she's like, where's Ben? He hasn't come by. I'm so worried. You know, the additional business that gets thrown in by Stan does have a lot to do with him kind of being like, okay, I know people aren't, you know, like the ending didn't sit right with me really, but I'm just the guy who comes in after the fact to add in the dialogue. So I'm going to talk about it some more (laughs) Well, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of Stan, again, like the thing of like, oh, we're just showing Daredevil out the door. There's a little bit of Stan basically in trying to clean up a mess, just paint, drawing attention to it, you know? And, and I don't, in a way that I don't think that he intends to, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think there is a weird, for me, again, I'm like, I don't really, the idea that, that, to me, the idea that Ben is so upset that he, that he doesn't even contact Alicia is supposed to be, I think, for us, or slash, if Kirby's telling the story, that's supposed to be, this is a sign that things that's are in trouble. Is wrong. Yeah, yeah, and he, and this is why the FF are going to get involved, you know? But because Reed can't actually be caught by surprise about anything, he's like, oh no, we had to let him go. He's a free man. And then later it's like, well, why are you looking for Ben if you said that he's free to go? And, and it's like, well, you know, because, um, because uh, you know, of course, and I quote, as leader of the FF, I'm responsible for everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Which, again... Also, like... what is amazing is that that's immediately followed by Sue saying, I'm sure he'll return after all. Benjamin is the best man at our wedding. Wedding? How can you think of a wedding at a time like this, Sue? Says Reed. And Lucia goes, oh no, don't let Ben be the cause of Reed and Sue splitting up. I couldn't bear the thought of that. <laughs> really? Because you might, you might not know this. Maybe no one told you. But that Reed guy there, he just turned Ben into the thing again without his consent. Yeah. So, you know, uh, maybe Reed should be feeling a bit guilty. Maybe yeah, Reed well, should, should suffer a little bit. Well, although it is weird because, of course, that is, I mean. Also, he's, Reed then says, let go of my arms, too. This is no time to go feminine and romantic on yeah, me. Yeah, always got things to do. Such an asshole. It's great. The only time that, like, the only time that Reed gets to be a bigger asshole about the wedding is once they actually get married. Oh, oh my, my God. God, yes. That's amazing. Okay, so, that's, that's proof that we have to speak through um, yes. uh, issues because we have to get to the post-wedding assholishness of Reed. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway... So the uh, the short version is Ben has gone missing because he's been kidnapped by the Frightful Four. Yes, and the Frightful Four then, uh, thanks to science, brainwash him. Yes, essentially, that is the dullest part of the Frightful Four plot. Yes, much more interesting is Medusa's power play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all this, because Medusa basically is very much being portrayed as a femme fatale in this issue. Yes. Yeah, it, she... it, not even vaguely subtly. I mean, when she first appears, she's doing the full, like, I am lying on the chaise long. You know? Mm-hmm. She's doing the whole, the woman who is driving everyone apart. Yes. And it, it is doing it intentionally. The woman who is manipulating every, all the man's feelings. Oh, yeah. You see her literally, like, 
blast the Sandman to sand and fight him on page six. And then three pages later, they are playing cards. She's sipping tea and he's flirting openly with her in front of the trapster. So real quick, so flirting openly to the point where the, the trapster then attacks the Sandman. Yes. And again, we get this sort of inversion. It's not good natured horseplay here. This is kind of constant, you know, male turmoil competing for competing for the femme the the femme fatale so remember how i said there is actually an in continuity reason to explain what's going on with medusa that they never bothered to take yes yes tell us now jeff okay so it is it is in this issue is the MacGuffin that explains everything because the wizard has access to an id machine which he uses to reprogram Ben Grimm and turn him evil earlier in the introduction to the frightful four. He's like, I've got the perfect woman. And he tells of this woman hiding in the caves, more or less basically being on the run as she's supposed to be within humans. When we see them later. And he's like, I got to go. They disappear for a few weeks. They show up later. And Madame Medusa is now evil. evil. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea that he has taken his id machine used it, on Medusa, which is why she is a femme fatale and completely amoral in all of these issues, and then completely becomes a different person once the rest of the Inhumans are introduced, is, I think, a re- is like, give me my no prize stand, because they don't ever mention it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the thing goes evil, um, is is hypnotized. I, yes, it's a good theory, Jeff. I'm just Thank trying you. to move on. No, no, no. Uh, I was should. actually, I was also distracted because I'm looking at the art, and this really does have some of the worst art in the oh, series. So before. bad, like, so bad. It, it's a shame. The letters in this are mm-hmm. are staggeringly bad in places. Uh, yeah. And when I say in places, I specifically mean on page eleven, panel f- uh, four. Ooh, let's see. Did I just miss that one? Have a uh, cigar thing. I think we're going to get along just fine. Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a terrible time. That is like, the worst every, drawing of the thing ever. But, yeah. But mm-hmm. also, look at uh, the wizard. Oh, the wizard's everything. terrible. The perspective's bad. The cigar's <laughs> bad. About that is terrible. Yeah, yeah completely. Um, yeah, there, there's some amazingly shoddy art in this. Uh, but yeah, so it, the, it, the, it ends up that the Fantastic Four are captured mm-hmm. uh, by... And it's not just is it just Reed that's captured? Uh, I think it's just Reed that's captured. No, 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 no. Because oh, that's um, true. She ends up on the cute. plastic bag from yes, the roof, and Johnny's getting reprogrammed as well. Uh, uh, no, no, that's next issue. Right now, he's tied up with the sprinkler system and the megaphone attached to it. Like he's got a microphone by his mouth, which is great. I guess in case he yells "Flame on," it, it'll set off the sprinkler system, which is really amusing to me. Um, also. I have to say, because I know we got to move on, the best death trap of ever for Reed is just a bunch of paste on a <laughs> board. I love place. that. I love that. As I remember, this, these are issues that I read as a kid in the world's greatest reprints. And I just remember being just awestruck by the, yeah, but what are you going to do? Like, it really was to me like the ultimate genius, like so simple and so perfect. Can I ask you, and this will, I, I, it's a good thing that you and I talk remotely because I can see why you would want to punch me for asking this. But does the <laughs> thing, does the thing only get teeth when he's changed back into the thing this time around? 
Like, you oh, know... I was watching that as well. Because <laughs> yeah. I know I notice the things teeth now, and I don't think we'd ever seen them before. I don't think we have, but we see them. If you'll notice, when he's crushing Doctor Doom's hands, you can see his teeth, and I think for the first time, and then they're consistent. Like they consistently appear throughout from then on in each of these issues. Well, let's just say it's intentional, but it probably wasn't. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, okay. To, it, speaking of passive aggressiveness, to save you, why must I kill you, is probably the most passive aggressive Marvel title so, ever. It's so great. Although, <laughs> as, as wonderfully terrible as this title is, and this title more than anything reminds me of like a really shitty Star Trek episode title. Yes. You know, it's like, it's that bad. Uh, the chapter <laughs> title for the next issue is the funniest. Oh, uh, uh, yes. The Low There Shall Be an Ending? Yes. I love that. Because it's like, if ever, sadly, it was like, well, this story just fucking ends. Yeah, seriously. Low, low. There, shall be, low there shall be an ending. <laughs> it's true. There is a lot of like, I don't, I don't, where is he going with, I don't, I don't fucking know. So again, Vince Coletta, it, it's a goddamn it's, shame. Yeah, Vince Coletta's inks in these issues are just a crime against Kirby's art. It's Be- there's some terrible, terrible stuff. However, issue forty two uh does feature because Reed is stuck to a board with pace. Yes. Death trap. It features an amazing fight. Yeah. With Reed. Yes. With Reed basically just being like, Well fuck you, I'm just going to grow parts of my body to push yeah. you away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of wonderful. I, I think I think that issue forty two, part of why it kills me is it that that it's Coletta inking, is it is an issue that is almost all action. Like I mean yes. in a way yeah, that Kirby with, with with different inkers. Yeah. The the uh especially the Mr. Fantastic thing fight mm-hmm. could look so different and, because and that's, that's an amazing action sequence that goes yes. on for a long time. For a long time. Just the him trapped to a board. He's still on the board, the growing of the stuff, then the shrinking, then the way that they fight there. I mean, there's so much that I adore him. You know, the thing grabbing him, pounding him into that, that cylinder. Know, a, yeah. Which is wonderful. Fucking awesome. I he love the fact. Mr. Fantastic out. out yeah. Sorry, and no, then no. squeezes him so small that he can essentially stick him inside a vase. Mm-hmm. Which he then hammers shut. Hammers, yeah. 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 It's it's wonderful. That fight between them is so brutal. And the thing that's amazing to me is, is that you still have more stuff. Like Kirby just went to town on this. I love the fact that he has a situation where it's... Sue, it's basically Sue and Johnny versus the Frightful Four and Ben. And once again, the Human Torch, who is always amazingly resourceful when he when he's got the page count, blinds everyone, has the upper hand, and then loses it to Medusa. I just love that double reversal. There's so many reversals in here, you know? Then and also, Sue... he listens to Medusa because Medusa makes her hair wet yes. and then slaps him with it. Yeah. Which it... is nuts. Is nuts. It's great. He's, he's on fire when she does that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? And then just She the managed to soak her hair. Up. It's putting my flame out. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, that's... That is the problem with the Human Torch. I mean, the guy has got the most variable power set, like, of ever, you know? Like, one, it's like, I've, I've so, he's like, on the one hand, he's, it's like a 
white hot nova that has melted the entire polar ice caps. Right. And then, and then a kid with a sprinkler is able to take him out with a squirt gun. So, you know, that's, I, that goes with the character, unfortunately, but I love the, the, even the scene. And this all happens in the same issue. She frees him. She frees Reed. They both pass out. They recover and basically turn the weapons against the Frightful Four. That page on page 17 where um, Reed is forming a slingshot with his own fingers and then shooting the wizard discs covered with paste pot piece. That piece. Eh, the paste Trapsters. Yes. <laughs> Let's go with the Trapster. <laughs> exactly. That's why he changed his name. Exactly. Because no one could say Paste Pot Beat. Not that fast. Um is great and then of course there is, I mean, there is so so much in it it's yeah. it's such an amazing for for a, a middle chapter mm-hmm. there is so much that happens yes. it's not static at all even though pretty much where you start the issue is where you end the issue exactly in terms of allegiances but yeah. so much happens in there it's 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 an all action issue but it is an all action issue where kirby has come up with so many like reversals and splits and breakdowns and then reassemblies of the group. Um, just phenomenal. Like that and also, is... in amongst all of this, you have Medusa then flirting with the thing and yes. driving Sandman insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so... there, there's so much in issue 42. It is so packed with stuff and, and just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Such mm-hmm. an enjoyable, enjoyable issue. Yeah. For something that shouldn't be. Well, you know, it's a middle. It's a middle chapter where, again, it's almost playing for time, but it's playing for time so entertainingly. Well, see, this is the thing that I, to me, that I find amazing is, is that, you know, just three, four, five years down the road, this that that issue is, um, is almost a cliche at Marvel. The the let's have all of our here, you know, basically an issue that's almost all fights. You know, with a little bit of characterization, just a dash and a lot of reversals, you know, is kind of the 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 what so many of the other non-Stan, non-Jack writers and artists are trying to do at Marvel. But it's really, I feel, kind of the first time that you see under Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four, like literally all one fight like it's an entire issue like before you have stuff where they're jamming in three threats just to kind of keep things going and here Mm -hmm. with kirby stretching things out you get an issue that that is a enormous change of pace from what he's doing before it's it's literally just an enormous change of what he was doing like a year ago yes yeah 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 completely i mean that quickly mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm I mean, honestly, it's it's this amazing jump. So at the end of last issue, I was complaining about the Frightful Four, saying that I didn't like them, but also that I felt that it sort of represented kind of a dead end in terms of, uh, you know, where where things would have gone, basically. Because here's Kirby doing everything in his power to basically keeping keep this stuff interesting which is breaking all of his own rules and going farther and wider um but of course to me it's so i should apologize at the time it really as a kid reading the issues they just seemed interminable like i was probably as by the time low there shall be an ending i was probably as burnt out on it as stan lee was but reading it but now reading it, them now 
it's it's again we have a very different experience we're reading them like so quickly yeah we're reading them so quickly but also just in the context of everything that's gone before it's it's amazing stuff it is glorious glorious stuff i mean the thing that's astonishing is is that there's still that kirby still has more up his sleeve is astonishing because frankly most people most artists would tap out here you know a lot of people would be like this is as good as he ever got but hey it was amazing like honestly as much as everyone tries to particularly on the ff everyone tries to ape what comes next from this but this right here is what I think the majority of artists and writers try to bring to Marvel for the next, I don't know, six or seven or eight years until until the the, the real Bronze Age relevant stuff yeah. starts well, creeping in. These three issues, uh, 41, 42, 43, I feel are in many ways a template for Roy Thomas's Avengers. Yes. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, very much so. And and even in a way, some of the stuff you end up seeing Englehart doing too, you know? Like, mm. this this kind of reminds me of the fight between the Avengers and um, the Zodiac that with all the reversals, and then they end up being yeah. shot in that crazy silo up into space and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. very much that idea of, like, shifting alliances, a, you know, one big set piece and fight after fight after fight after fight, you know. Um, this is the stuff that I think really just probably just knocked people off their chair. And reading it, I can see why. There's, It's just, it really is brilliant stuff from Kirby, you know. So, um, so lo, there shall be an ending. It ends. Um... <laughs> I, I think in many ways, we don't need to say a lot more about it beyond what we've just said about the three issues as a whole mm-hmm. in terms of what happens in this issue mm-hmm. uh there's not a lot that really stands out there's the false jeopardy of has reeds turned ben into a vegetable by trying to cure him yeah. but but you don't believe that mm-hmm. um and the the final showdown mm-hmm. is not particularly exciting after what we've seen before yeah, exactly. By contrast with the previous issue, it, in a way, it does seem a little underwhelming. Although I adore zero gravity thing, like the 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 way that they sort of keep him off balance because he just can't fight, you know. Mm-hmm. And even when Reed grabs him by the foot and swings him around in circles until he more or less blacks out, like all that stuff's pretty great. It's just, again, as much as I love Kirby. When Kirby loses interest, kind of, he kind of can be sort of like, yeah, okay, so it's kind of wrapped. There's a lot of, he tries to make a lot of great dynamic reversals. That reversal of the wizard, of the thing crushing the wizard's yeah. chest plate. Is, yes, which is then immediately followed by uh, Johnny coming back. Like, yeah. there's a very quick, and the team's back together. Yes, exactly. Um, very... oh, oh, the, what what I do love mm-hmm. is... Uh, Johnny pretty much just letting Medusa getting away and then Reed calling him on it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I also just realized? Mm. So we've been we've been really ragging on the art in these, especially last two issues. Yes. Uh, and it's not just Coletta, because Kirby's layouts are much less interesting. 
Mm-hmm. If you look at page 19, that those are very, very generic Kirby layouts. Yes. Um, but he and Coletta are also working on the annual at the same time. Mm, right. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So that, too, that might explain it because that. the annual is the next thing that follows this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, so let's. Uh, anything more you want to talk about here before we launch into? No, I, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a fine wrap up, but mm-hmm. really the story peaks with issue forty two. Yeah, issue forty two just is so kind of stunning in its storytelling. Forty and forty three does deliver. There's a there's a number For, of nice. It's is nice, mm-hmm. but it's it's not it's not as good as forty two basically. Right. Right. Considering what comes right before it and what comes right after it, it, it makes sense that it ends up being kind of underwhelming. So uh, Annual 3. Yes. That's for Annual 3. The fabulous FF holds a long-awaited wedding only to find Bedlam at the Baxter building. Mm-hmm. It is, according to Stanley, the most sensational, super spectacular ever witnessed by human eyes. Yes. Now... Spoiler! It's not. <laughs> you know, okay... Again, I feel that this is a, um, to me, this is like the closing of a chapter for the Fantastic Four, you know? Oh, it's, it's, it's very much a celebration of, of the Marvel Universe up until this point, because yes, every like, literally everyone's in this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Patsy Walker and, and Hedy are in this. <laughs> I know. Isn't that fabulous? But let, let's just say, like, isn't. Isn't that splash page like if you take the rest of it out? Isn't that splash page just terrific? I I do oh, love the, the, the Doom reading the newspaper. Yes, the eyes it's of Doom do, looking at the newspaper. Beg, you know, Photoshop for people to put in other headlines, doesn't it? That is true. Oh my God, what is wrong with you, Internet? I thought you were so on top of things. Um, so you said you were pretty underwhelmed by this, generally. I, I'm underwhelmed not only by the story, but I'm very underwhelmed by this annual. This is the first time that the annual is predominantly reprint. Oh yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's almost all reprint. No, they don't even and, have pinup pages. And also, the story is the story works for oh my god, it's everyone. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like for the guest stars alone, the story is a lot of fun. You know what's really funny is do you remember in one of I think it was our last wait what podcast and I was kind of like and we were answering questions and I'm like like I did like who cares about the secret wars I didn't need the secret wars when I was a kid and you were like Jeff I was 10 the secret secret wars was the best and biggest thing for me yeah this is probably what I read when I was 10 this was probably my secret wars it's super exciting because it's everyone yeah it's right it's everyone but But of course there's that there's not nothing to the story. But okay. See, you say there's nothing to this story. But okay, so here's my thing. So it's a story apart from at least looking at because I'm looking at the the scan of the original issue, the mm-hmm. very last page of the first thing, uh when Nick Fury is talking to a man who is gray. Oh yeah. No, no, no. The coloring there the someone deeply un- misunderstood what was going on with Gabe Jones. So the someone's like there. he's black. Black's just a bit too dark. What if I make him gray? There's so many superheroes in here. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're like, oh, that guy wasn't made of stone. No, he was. 
he was a Negro. Oh, oh, he was black. Oh, that's why the coloring notes. I didn't get it. I thought it was like the great <laughs> gargoyle or something. I just didn't get oh, it. Yeah, you know. Man, boy, so, is my face right. <laughs> so you've, you've, like, there's the Secret Wars, which go on for 12 issues, give Spider-Man a new costume and supposed other blabby blab that didn't really mean anything. And you have a 20-page story in which everyone pops up and Reed and Sue get married. And I'm like, so to me, I'm to me, I'm like, sure, this has nothing really going for it apart from wit and charm, and you know the fact that it was not dragged out into being a mega event. It also, I will grant you, has a little bit no, too because much. Yes, it, it has. It has for me, genuinely nothing other than let you and him fight. Yeah, like, for all that Secret Wars has going for it in the shit mistakes, and that's mm-hmm. a lot. Yes. Secret Wars is astoundingly crappy. Holy shit. We totally have it to do try- it. We should do an entire podcast episode where we just argue about this, because no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to agree to disagree, Jeff. I really do. enough time yeah. to keep fighting about this. Yes. Um, it's, it's not even that I dislike it. I just, I wouldn't say that it is a high point at all mm-hmm. Be, mm-hmm. beyond the guest stars there's nothing to this and the fact that the majority of the annual is reprint is also a bit of a letdown for me okay yeah definitely the reprint thing is a drag although part of me is kind of you know for kirby's sanity i i'm basically down with it i'm also kind oh, of no, down sure with... like i they're yeah. probably you know working ridiculous amounts. Bear in mind that Kirby and Lee are also doing other books at this point. Oh, yeah, exactly. So many other books and being able to jam it in. But I just, the fact that you can't appreciate Daredevil doing Raiders of the Lost Ark before Raiders of the Lost Ark just fills me with sorrow, Graham. Just sorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I've disappointed you, listeners. I'm sorry I've probably disappointed all of you. And yet... <laughs> Really, I'll, I stand I'll, by my remarks. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 I'm fine with that. I'm fine with disappointing all of you. Yes. Okay. Uh, so that go. being said, let's yes. jump to the next episodes because we uh, next issue of Fantastic Four, I think, which would be Fantastic Four issue forty four. Sorry, fabulous FF. Sorry, <laughs> I always get that wrong. I'm just amazed at how much I'm like no. Gorgon is issue 43. It does not matter what the facts and the pieces of paper say. <laughs> the fabulous Fantastic Four, sorry, the fabulous FF learn that marriage is no guarantor of peace and quiet. The gentleman's name is Gorgon. Okay. Or what a sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Reintroducing Madame Medusa. Yes. Reintroducing, because even they are like, we're having a do over, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, hey, everybody. This issue starts with what can only be described as the perfect Venture Brothers joke, <laughs> which is Reed Richards has created what he calls the world's first fully automated dishwasher mechanism. Yes. Sure, we have dishwashers in this world. Do they look like Reed Richards? No, because Reed Richards is crazy. Yeah. Also, in this panel, Sue Storm, because she's married now, He's wearing her Fantastic Four outfit and an apron. Yes. And appears Gender to be a politics. man nice. wearing a wig. Like, that drawing of Sue is... That's that's not in my Sue gallery. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> As we said, it's 
for the first Kirby Sinnott's drawing of Sue Storm. Yeah. Uh, it really, I'm not, it really does look like someone wearing a wig. <laughs> it does not bode well. They go on to much better things, everybody. Thank goodness. But yeah. Um, also, so yeah, so Reed and Sue are married. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanley, being the progressive writer that he was, knew yes. that that wouldn't change the characters in any way. They'd just have to deal with some new life situations. Or, will Sue say things like, Honestly, boys, I'll never get dinner ready with all this commotion. Johnny, flame off. You'll get ashes all over the furniture. Yeah. You decide, listeners, which <laughs> you think is true. Yes, exactly. Now that Sue is married, is she A, exactly Still the same Sue. as before, or B, absolutely incontinent with rage whenever she feels that her marriage is not being paid enough attention to. And really, what's the more progressive characterization? Who can say? All I can say is is that page four, where Medusa shows up in the back of Johnny Storm's car with a gun pointed at his neck, is beautiful. That... Also, her gun is so great in her explanation. This is a vacuum gun, and you cannot flame on in a vacuum, so don't try it. Yeah. What does that mean, a vacuum gun? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I... You should have called her bluff there, Johnny. <laughs> Go for it. She gun. doesn't know she what's going not. on. She's, it's, it's ridiculous. The fact that the fact that, that she just told you that gun is the extension tube for a vacuum cleaner should show you that you have nothing to fear. But that page three panel of her, oh my god, it's just oh, a... the, the, the third panel where she says "keep driving fast" and it's such a wonderful. It's what it really is is such wonderful cine inks. Yes, and this is where you start to get a taste of what's going to come. Really, to me, is just like that is sumptuous and you start because getting it's, more it's completely story. out of romance comics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those lines are completely out of romance comics it's, yeah. it's amazing it's almost romita well see that's it that's what i realized while looking at this was like holy shit like Sinnet can make suddenly makes kirby look like romita which is great because it uni like suddenly there's there's the first splash of unification across the marvel line you know, you end up but, getting Romita so doing more flattening Kirby, right? Kirby which is, is amazing. Still Kirby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and there, there are times I sort of worry about this as a dude who's, you know, later who was appalled that, for example, that um, that DC when Kirby took over Jimmy Olsen got, I think it was Al Plestino to redraw Superman and Jim Jimmy mm-hmm. Olsen's. Yeah. So I always found that Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I kind of I almost said Jimmy Kirby, <laughs> which would be like, ah, Superman's friend Jimmy Kirby. I I just had that weird thing of like, but surely Sinnott is at some points here as they progress, he must be redrawing Kirby's faces, right? Yeah, he, he the the woman. I'm completely convinced. Yeah, and, and even the men too. The Reed, you've we've seen Reed. Reed can sort of look like Reed. But, like, you know, if you look back to the panels of him, like, you know, even with someone great like Frankie, Frank Robbins slash Frankie Ray doing great inks on him, you still get that sort of Kirby face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just sort yeah. of like. No, you're, you're right. I mm-hmm. definitely read, read does look different. And Johnny in certain panels looks different as well. Yeah. I mean, look, if you look at page 11 panels, um, 
four and six. That yes. is that is that is the Reed Richards that you know we see for something like a twenty like a twenty year period after it, that. Yeah, it is it is the Reed Richards of John Buscema and Justin. Yeah, and it is yeah. right there, and it's kind of like it, it's it's pretty pretty astonishing. Like there's there'd be a lot to say about this book if it just you know these set of issues if they just looked good, but on top of it, you get you get Kirby uh, uh, unleashing himself. You know, we see, we've seen Gorgon's feet pop up in a couple of places. He pops up in on pages nine and 10 very briefly, but he's such an interesting character that Kirby more or less gives him like, he's really the Terminator in this issue. You know, he keeps coming and coming and coming. I love the, the panel uh, on page 14 where he's burst through some walls and you see him say like, all of you stand where you are. And there's, it's just, it's just awesome. He's such a, yeah. he spends the entire issue being unstoppable. Yes, exactly. And, and fascinatingly enough, he wins. He yeah. is unstoppable. Yeah. He absolutely does end up being unstoppable. The other thing that I do adore about this is, um, well, I, I'll get to it because it actually plays into a stronger factor next next issue. But um, so yeah, no, I love it, the it, fact it's that... it's a wonderful, wonderful issue. Uh, it, yeah. It's the essentially the beginning of the Inhumans. Yeah, it's uh, the beginning. Uh, Gorgon hunting mm-hmm. down Medusa. Yeah, for reasons that she is not clear on, because at this point, arguably Stanley was not clear on. Stanley has no um, idea. Yeah, they it includes the uh, unexpected and. Let's be honest, somewhat unnecessary revival of Dragon Man. Yes. Um, Dragon Man serves a point for the plot um, as as things go on. He kind of becomes the MacGuffin. You oh, know, so he, he's pretty much the MacGuffin of the next issue. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, and he still looks great here, but... It is something that, like, the reason that them continuing to bring Dragon Man into things as the FF go on, it only gets more perplexing every time they do it. So, um, in order to keep things speedy and expeditious, and also so that we can rant about issue forty-five, is there anything you you else you want? No, to say? let's let's go with issue forty-five. Issue forty-five, the fabulous FF are stunned by the discovery that among us hide the Inhumans. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you get you get the FF. They have basically been had their asses kicked by Gorgon. A building has almost collapsed on them. They have to deal with the problem of the Dragon Man has taken Sue. Um, and one of the things that I oh we I love the fact that we get an epilogue with um, the Sandman and the Trapster in prison for no real purpose, really. Well, it's kind of great because Mm -hmm. it shows that as much as Lee and Kirby are pretty much starting over with Medusa. Yeah. They're giving a nod to the fact that characters have noticed that she's acting differently. Yeah. They'll never explain it. Right. Well, like I said, there's a very fancy explanation on my part, which I adore. But yeah, there's no... Don't get me wrong, Jeff. I wish they'd gone for your explanation. Instead, (laughs) they went for... No explanation, yeah. but but they're at least like that epilogue for me 
of the two of them basically being like, I can't believe that she didn't come and get us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was super cute. I really liked it. I liked it too. I thought it, I thought it was great. It was kind of out of nowhere, but it was great. Um, I also love, interestingly enough, that you have Gorgon, you have Medusa, you basically have Johnny Storm. Like, I, I love that a, a reoccurring plot engine of the Fantastic Four is, and that maybe this is thematically important, do not let your teenagers get bored and go to the bad side of town. Because if they do... <laughs> yes, he'll come back with Neymar or he'll fall in love with Crystal. Yeah. Exactly. I I really did love the storytelling in this, complete with Johnny being completely haunted by Crystal and her seeming almost ghostly. Like, And the other thing that, that I ended up really digging, oh, although so much of this is then the Dragon Man. Again, you've just got Kirby's pacing is utterly organic, which is to say that it just does not seem to follow... Any real sc- any rules whatsoever. It's, yeah. I mean, it is amazing. So the, the, the issue starts off with, oh my god, the building's collapsed on the Fantastic Four, yeah. with the exception of Sue, because she's been kidnapped by the Dragon Man. Yes. And by issue six, not only have they got out of the building completely fine, but the Dragon Man just returns Sue, and she's like, oh, he's friendly. Right. And, and, yet- and then you have a wonderful, like, two pages mm-hmm. of Johnny being bored and going to the other side of town. Yes. Yeah. This almost sort of strange, you know, like like a ghost story type thing of this woman in the rubble. He says it's like something out of a fairy tale, which is, again, like the Inhumans are, I think it's it's a good call on Stan Lee's part because the Inhumans are the fairy tale cranked up to 11 in some ways in that it is Kirby going straight for myth and dream logic and stuff that is awesome. So you have you have Johnny staking out the the ruins of a Skid Row neighborhood, waiting for this mysterious woman to show back up. And when he does encounter her, and you meet Lockjaw, which is a, crazy and amazing, you suddenly cut back to people having trouble with the Dragon Man for like three pages. Mm-hmm. It's a it's which, which yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 such a wonderful, you know. We don't need to see her going down the steps with Johnny. Let's cut back and have a, uh, you know, an action sequence. Because yeah, there's a feeling of we've not had an action sequence for for you know at this point. Yes, four or five pages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The kids will be getting bored. Right. Throw something in, and it totally works. Yeah, completely, completely. Because it really has this sense of the FF starts to feel like. From here, I feel like there is that idea of, like, there's multiple storylines going on. Like, the characters are going in multiple directions at once, which we've yes, never it's, it's really quite had before. It's beginning to treat them as, if not four individuals, mm-hmm. at least a collection of individuals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. And so you will have multiple stories overlapping. And mm-hmm. then coming back together, in the case of this, because Johnny meets the Inhumans, is convinced they're up to no good and calls in the rest of the team. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also great for 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 Kirby's pacing because on the one hand it allows him one of the one of the things that really makes the Inhumans work so well in this is that they are not introduced en masse. It's like there's Medusa, of course, which we know, then there's Gorgon, then you've got Karnak who we meet 
And we have no idea what the fuck is up with Triton, and we don't even see Black Bolt until the very last mm-hmm. panel of the issue. Mm-hmm. So. Well, there's also a Crystal and Lockjaw. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I always I don't know why I don't count them, but yeah. So it's but you're right. It's so all of them get introduced piecemeal in a way that works yeah. wonderfully. And also, what's great is all of them are just off enough. Mm-hmm. Like Crystal is spacey as shit in this issue. Yes. Yeah. Crystal is crazy, like, and because you don't even know she's superpowered, right? But Crystal is the beautiful dits yeah. in this, right? She is very, like, a very specific character type. Um, but you have Gorgon who has been hyper aggressive before. You have Medusa who is basically, basically, you have to get away from these guys. This is very, very dangerous. And you have Karnak, who is so convinced of his superiority of Johnny. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't even have to pay attention to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't do anything to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful stuff. Uh, one of the things I find fascinating is following in the letters pages. And again, in the bulletins, like <laughs> Stan Lee talks about the monsters in the Adams family a lot, which I think is really weird to me. Like that's kind of a, like, huh? Is that how he sees them? Because that, of course, is really not how Kirby they come across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kirby's presenting them as something different, and it's fascinating to me watching, um, watching Lee try and figure out how to come up with a context for them. And I will say that this was surprised me was in the first few issues they very specifically get tied to mutants. They get mutants well, get oh, mentioned, and then yes. very specifically, like in the they same panel, mutants. yeah, they're not mutants. Mutant, yeah. not mutant thing, really is sort of a like I I I'm not crazy about whatever if Marvel really is trying to do the we're writing out the mutants and we're writing in the Inhumans because we've got the film rights for those characters, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a way in which I'm like, well, at least continuity wise, like it's. It's right there on the page from the very first set of panels, really. So, um, but oh my god! So yeah, this issue is fabulous. Um, FF forty six. FF forty six. The fabulous FF are shocked at the staggering power of those who would destroy us. <laughs> uh, it's it basically is at least opens with a very very. Uh, intense fight scene in that the Fantastic Four again just get defeated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um before switching to the revelation that the Fantastic Four are running away from someone called the Seeker. Uh the Inhumans are, yes. Yeah. So the Inhumans are, yeah. 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 Um and and the Seeker apparently a big fan of the Who. <laughs> uh it's like the introduction of him was very surprising because he grabs Dragon Man mm-hmm. and tests whether he's an inhuman. Mm-hmm. Which again for me speaks to Stanley did not know what's going on. Because later the Seeker will be revealed to be an inhuman and be yes. working for Maximus. Yes. You think therefore he'd know who the other humans were. Yeah. But apparently not. No, no, no. It's very much a Lee is working in the dark as far as what Kirby is doing here. The idea and in fact, you know, I I would be like, as time was running out, and of course I was reading these issues 
faster and faster. Also, just from the velocity of them. Like, I didn't get a chance to go back and reread nearly as much. But it is a little hard to reverse an engineer. What the hell? Like, I mean, we know the situation that we end up with, but it is so far from the way things are being presented in dialogue here that, Mm -hmm. you know, things either changed or Kirby was not letting Lee know or things were morphing as they went along and they weren't even ending up in the places where they were supposed to, even Kirby thought, you know, that it ends up evolving organically. But let's just say that the Seeker is one of those characters that, again, has that amazing, like, Kirby's design prowess in that. Like, the Seeker ends up being ultimately a complete dud of a character for someone who is, you know, in theory, all of the Inhumans have been fleeing for God knows how long. But well, God in, damn, but, and again, initially he's presented as this incredibly yeah. capable, dangerous man. Not the first person, but he breaks into the Baxter building. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, he does. Which, you know, you at this at point, him. you mm-hmm. do have to think that Reed Richards is like, I've got to put better security in here. I've got to put better security in. Get rid like, of all this the is dangerous six shit. Six months after yeah, Doctor exactly. Doom yeah, yeah, broken yeah. and did the same thing of using all my toys against me. Yeah. Um, but again, but yeah, the seeker the seeker does turn out to be a dud, but looks amazing. It looks astonishing. His design is fabulous. Like looking at it, I was like, just think of what we would have had if, like, like Jack Kirby had designed the look for the Beatles for the Yellow Submarine in this era. Because every time I look at the Seeker, I think of George Harrison. I just can't help it, even though, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because it's 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 psychedelic plus. Um, again, the way that Kirby is pacing things, so gen- so weird and so organic. You get a sequence again with Dragon Man and the Seeker, and when you come back, you're in the middle of the fight between the Thing and Black Bolt that pretty much started on page two, um, and is fabulous. Which is such a wonderful way of saying this has been a really big fight mm-hmm. without showing you it. Yes. When you can cut away, because at that point, Lee's cut away to, I think it's three different scenes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before he goes back to that fight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think think this is that way of sort of in the same way that Kirby is able to do, you know, less with more. Like he can do a a FF horseplay thing in in two pages now. He can have a fight scene. Like uh, it was funny looking at me being like, looking back at this issue being like, oh, right. Like, it really isn't that long of a fight scene, but it just feels so epic because yes, it Kirby... feels so intense. Oh my god! Yeah, it really does because Kirby is just on fire. The dimensionality of what he's doing with that fight scene with the thing and Black Bolt, even something as dynamic as um, Ben Grimm like throwing the pipe behind him and hitting the wall, you know, which is just, ugh, I, I don't, you know, again, in my mind is his way, is Kirby being like, oh yeah, this is how he keeps Karnak at bay while he keeps fighting with Black Bolt. And the way that Lee presents it as, you know, but I mean. Uh, yeah, Lee, yeah, Lee's just, I'll know this Black Pipe, I won't need it for what happens next. But yeah. the art is very clear. Mm-hmm. He throws it behind him because Karnak is coming behind him. Yeah, exactly. Which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then, 
I, you know, you get lockjaw, you get, but just by the time for me, like, it's like, I just, by the time you get to page 12, where like the, the human torch is flying around, shooting flames at lockjaw and lockjaw's running around with a girder in his mouth. It's just, it's just a free for all. The issue is just in, is, I don't know. Like there, I really do have that thing of like, oh yeah. And then I guess there's another eight issues where stuff happens too. You know? Well, it, that's just it. Like, it's incredible that you have all this stuff happening in the first half of the book, yes. and the second half of the book is then like, and now I'm going to explain the entire origin of the Inhumans. Yeah, it, it's like the middle chapter of the Frightful Four story. Mm-hmm. It's one of a mid- the middle chapters where so much happens. Yes, there's there's such. I mean, it feels much longer than what twenty pages. Oh, completely. It, it it feels really dense. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's it's so enjoyable. But again, because you have that very, very heavy fight sequence at the start, which Kirby cuts away from, so it's not as if you're only seeing the fight. Yes. But because you have the intense fight sequence, anyone, you get the feeling of like, I've had my fill of action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling like all this exposition is at the, you know, the cost of something else. Oh, God, no. Because, of course, it also helps that what <laughs> what they are expositioning is... A, a such a crazy dynamic like it is it's 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 them so rocketing before like i mean if you look back on the you know just three years two years earlier where you get stories where it's like oh here's a kid who has the ability to turn anything he wants into whatever he wants you know it's kind of like one kid and and here you have here's a completely different line of evolution and everyone ends up genetically superpowered and there's an entire city of those people chew on that why don't you while we engage in the classic Kirby trope of the dude imperiously lighting his cigarette I love yes, that which is so funny to me I love I that love so much when I saw that I was like that is hilarious okay secret dude. Yes. I've left my, you know, I've left the city of Atalan, but I've discovered cigarettes. And you guys, I'm going to take these back to Atalan. Seriously. Well, because it is. It's such a it's such a beautiful, it's like, hey, it's Kirby Shorthand. Like, you know, he's like, you know who this guy is. No, it totally is Kirby Shorthand because mm-hmm. it's Kirby Shorthand. And he's doing it in the same way he does it later in Force World as well, where it's the guy fully on profile. Yes. No, 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 exactly. He does this a lot and it's always the exact it is the shorthand for here is here is arrogance personified. They're in profile, they're lighting a cigarette with a lighter, and they honestly do not give a shit what the fuck you are doing. So um it's Okay, forty seven. Yes. We're totally gonna do this, Jeff. We're totally gonna do this. Are we going to do it? Because I have to tell you my iPad just ran out of power. I'm flying blind That's here. That's hilarious. You can fly blind. That's the fabulous FF enter an incredible world of wonders. Beware the hidden land. Yes. Uh, this is the one where they where they go to Atlan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, this is actually the issue where I realized about the Hulk's teeth. Uh, not the Hulk's teeth, the thing's teeth. Yes. Because on page five, he's fighting Dragon Man, and there is the strangest, strangest shot of the thing... I guess in pain or in panic, yeah. with his mouth wide open and his teeth showing. Yeah, yeah, which is like, so unusual. Yeah, why is that happening? What's what's happening there with his teeth? It introduces Maximus the Magnificent, who, of course, later on becomes Maximus the Mad, um, and 
does so in such a way that he is introduced as the king, and within four pages, he gives up the crown to Black Bolt. Mm-hmm. Like, literally just, oh, you want the crown? Okay, then, I was just keeping it warm for you. Yes. Um, in the, 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 As you said, the reversals of this era in Fantastic Four are breathtaking, mm-hmm. not only in their velocity and in the, the number of them, mm-hmm. but also in their nonsensical quality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, very much so. Like, yeah. it's it's actually wacky mm-hmm. to look at that as you, you introduce this guy and then five pages later he gives up the crown because there's not really any weight to it. Yeah. You've literally just met him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that he's giving up to Black Bolt. Again, you only met Black Bolt an issue earlier. Yes. There's not really a lot here. There's the feeling that Kirby is getting into the the zone, mm-hmm. but the zone is not necessarily a zone of sense. No, no, no. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everything that Kirby is shooting for is, it even pops up a little before where it's like, you know, kind of that thing of like, oh my God, Triton's dying. Like Triton is basically a graphic by that point. And yes. Yeah. You Triton hasn't really spoken. Yeah, exactly. You know? I, yeah. And so he's dying. I guess that's sad, mm-hmm. but it's Kirby's working at such a rate. Yeah. And it, and is such a creative force at this point because mm-hmm. this, the book looks amazing and is going so fast that you do get swept up in it. Mm-hmm. And it's only when you stop to think, wait, right. I don't know who Triton is. I don't yeah. know who Black Bolt is. Like, should I be caring about this? Is it good he's becoming a king? I literally have no idea. Well, and, but yeah. on first read through, you don't even care. No, you don't. Because you're don't. like, oh my God, he's the king. Yeah. Well, there there's just so much that is done. I mean, it honestly, it helps by the fact that Black Bolt, by nature of not speaking, becomes such... He becomes an anomaly in Stan Lee's career. You know what I mean? Yes. I can't Who was it that said that Black Bolt was the first Kirby creation? <laughs> so, no, really, someone... I want to say someone said that to us, like in a comment. Oh, maybe, maybe. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't remember it, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, but yeah, I mean, the thing that's wonderful is just look at page eight, where like the Inhumans pop up back in the city of Adelon, which doesn't necessarily even make much sense. Panel one is them appearing. And it's so amazing. Yeah, it's great. You look at that appearance, uh, the the design... It's not just like you've got Black Bolt's chest emblem in a way that you don't quite see, but like the tendrils of Medusa. Then you've got panel two, which is them walking through a big ass hall. And again, part of me feels like, okay, this is when Kirby knows that Sinnott is what's is doing his inking and that he can basically just go full throttle because we've seen stuff that looks like panel one and panel two and maybe sort of kind of panel three, but never all on the same page. Like, you know, you're getting to the point where Kirby's just like rattling these things out because Maximus the Magnificent, again, ends up being a character that look is a dud. But in the sense of you see someone wearing that crown with apparently all the signs of the the Zodiac on his crotch and chest and they, it just looks amazing. Like it is, it is. Kirby he lo- he is looks, just... yeah, he looks amazingly powerful. The, the the first appearance, the visual is so wonderful. Yeah, that you feel like this guy is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Which is one of the reasons why it does. It is so surprising, you know. Four pages later, where it's like half the crown. Right, right, exactly. It it is very much. Uh, 
it's 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 sort of it sort of makes sense because it's very much a um it's a little bit of of Kirby revisiting the Thor Loki dynamic in Black Bolt and Maximus, but because Maximus is it's just a schemer doesn't have magic and because black bolt is silent it has it had i mean let's face it there all of this is if it was coming out today it would feel like such crazy mary sueism it's like uh some dude just created a bunch of characters dropped them in the narrative wanted to show how awesome they were by showing how easily they could beat the main characters in the book and now we're supposed to feel about this story that they clearly is based on something that they wrote when they were like 16 and these characters that they care about it's just ridiculous i'm not buying any of it and yet here a because it's Kirby and it's Kirby just on all like you can it's like Stan Lee is literally holding on for dear life on the back of these pages, you know, in terms of trying to explain anything in a cogent sense. But because a because it is Kirby at the top of his powers, it's absolutely affecting to me. And B, it's... it's no, it's it's wonderful, and there's so one of the things that I love about it, and I think this is Lee, mm-hmm. is that the Romeo and Juliet element of yes Johnny and Crystal totally gives you an emotional buy-in. Yeah, there and is gives that you and gives you a B plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's... the fact that the Fantastic Four arrive and Crystal's first thought is it's Johnny, and his first thought is it's Crystal, and they are immediately pulled apart. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know what? There really is that element of, sure, there's this big cosmic, oh my God, the world is about to end drama. Mm-hmm. But there's also this tiny little drama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a tiny little drama that works. Mm-hmm. It's a tiny little drama that you totally buy into. Yeah. Um, and talking about the amazing end of the world thing, uh, issue 47 ends with a cliffhanger where Maximus actually says that he is going to doom mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, which in terms of Maximus slash Stanley's hyperbole is hilarious when you get to issue 48 because Jeff, we fucking done it. Um, the Wait. fabulous FF find wonders without end during the coming of Galactus uh, oh, because God. the opening of issue 48 reveals that nothing happened. Yes. Yeah. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> He's button the doomed mankind. Nope. Did yeah. not. Yeah. The end. Well, again, is that idea of like, is it, is it is it Kirby having no patience or is there something that was supposed to be was that bomb supposed to do something else like again i don't necessarily yeah. what, know what was that button what was that button really meant to do yeah exactly and and i i have to give them credit i haven't been following it closely enough but if they had managed they being modern marvel to tie the idea that that first bomb was the first stage of setting off the sort of Terrigen mist inoculation that then gets set off with the second bomb and awakens all the, you know... Oh, I think I think you're asking far too much of modern-day Marvel. Oh, totally. And to be fair, far too much of them in many directions. I think <laughs> for them to go, this is our new status quo, and part one of it happens in a comic 50 years ago, is... Um, is, are misguided. Yes, shall we say. if they had done it, though, it would have been great. Let me just say before we jump to to the last pages of forty eight. Um, I have to. 
I just noticed now how brilliant it is that Kirby actually has the bridge over Adelon collapse with the Fantastic Four, and it says, it collapsed, we're going to fall, right? And then you've got an entire page of the Inhumans, and then you have the Fantastic Four kind of hit. Like, I do love the fact that, that they are literally falling for so long that you can have another scene with the with the Inhumans then have the human torch fall by, fly by, and then the FF are still falling. You know what I mean? Like it's that idea of like it was. The, it was really tall. Jeff. Yeah, it must have been because they were clearly falling for like fifteen minutes for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but no, it, it, it forty-eight is is wraps up the Inhumans in such an amazingly careless manner, almost. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it literally does it in six and a half pages yeah and those six and a half pages are spent going remember that big bomb he was sending off didn't do anything uh but instead maximus is so pissed off he shut off the inhumans from the rest of the world the end right and like you said because of the romance between johnny and crystal that has that has the impact that almost feels more yes feels worse yeah you know yes so yeah Yes, we we should we really can wrap this up before six as well because that is it. Like that is the end of that part before it goes on to the the Galactus story, which we really shouldn't cover. So because that that would take us up to fifty. Agreed, agreed. Well, let me just say that one of the things that is amazing about Kirby at this period is, as you said, he wraps everything up in in six pages. They're characters that we've barely been introduced to completely have managed to emotionally buy in thanks to the power of his storytelling and his design not so much the script and honestly at this pace i don't even see how it could have been possible but i will say that that final shot of the charter jet flying over the dome-shaped barrier which is the first term that we get for the negative zone Right, which goes on to yes, have a different. Yes, which is really funny. That yeah, Maximus calls it the ne- calls it the negative zone that's holding them away. Yeah, so it's I'd be really again. It's that idea of like this stuff seems to pop up in a crazy first draft kind of way several issues before it reappears again. Sometimes in a very very different context, which is. Which really, you know, if you're a super continuity nerd, you should ding. But is really in a situation like this, wonderful. I love the idea that maybe they're unified. But that last panel of the city where, and he mentions that it's slowly sinking lower and lower into the ground. Like, I found that part of what I love about this issue is that was a perfectly awesome last panel in and of its own. Like, you've got Kirby... And because Sinnott's inking it, it's got all the blacks that it needs to have a sense of weight and a sense of ominousness. And it works as an emotional leitmotif for the end of the issue. It really feels like a final yeah, note. It's, it's it's a really impressive. Mm-hmm. And then it's over. For all that he really tosses off in six pages. It's it When you get those... I would say everything is rushed up until... The FF are forced out by the barrier. Yes. But like that page and a half are perfectly paced. Yeah, I agree. Perfectly I agree. paced. Yeah. And it's it's one of the things that I think has been consistent for the issues that I, we've been talking about is there's some really weird pacing issues. There's, mm-hmm. 
you it's not something you'd recommend to someone going, I want to learn about writing. But it it all works. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it all this, works. This this ending in particular really works. Well, you have it ju- you have just enough time to realize that Johnny is in genuine pain. Yes. You know? Jo- yeah. Johnny's in genuine pain and everyone treats him like a man now, you know, which is like the the maturity deal. But I love I also love the fact and this is something where there I feel like I've spent this entire episode just sort of bagging on Stanley. I do love the fact that he because the idea of the city sinking lower and lower is only established in his caption. And so you have the sense of something heavy dragging down and like, again, in the visual tied to the earth. And then when you Mm. see this figure floating in space and rising up in the very next panel, it's, it's a beautiful juxtaposition. The panel, the panel juxtaposition of that is breathtaking, especially in the way that I feel that Stan helps Stan Stan brings it out. Yeah, he 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 does. The same, otherwise he really brings it out. Um, That figure is the Silver Surfer, listeners. Yes, Uh, and he takes he appears on page seven of issue forty-eight. The next time we come back in the next episode, we will be doing issues forty-eight through. What do you want to say, Jeff? Because it's going to be like it's the big issues, like it's the issues we really are going to be talking about. Gosh, I don't Um, know, like forty-eight through. Can we slow it down? Can we just do 48 through 55? And is there an annual in there or not? Uh, there probably should be an annual in there, yeah. Yeah. Let's do 48 through 55 and annual four. Yeah. Assuming, assuming um, they're because all Because the as, as the Kirby, as, as the says, this is the big one. <laughs> the issues 48 through, I would argue, 51 at least, those yeah. four issues are just... They're, they're it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's really, really it when you get to the Fantastic Four, especially and Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. So we, we've we arrived, folks. Yes. It's yeah. taken us four episodes of great comics. Yeah. But um, episode five is where the shit gets real. Graham, do you want to tell them where they can find us? Yes. We're everywhere, people. We're we're all over the fucking shop. If you're looking on Twitter, we're at Wait What Podcast. I am at Graham M G R A E M E M. Uh, Jeff is at Lazy Bastard L A Z Y B A S T I D. If you're looking on Tumblr, we're at we're waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. If you're looking on Patreon, we're a hundred people. I think are yes. supporting us now, which is kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. And thank you everyone, everyone who is supporting us uh, but we're at patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast um we are available on itunes we're available on stitcher you can find our website where when this episode goes live there will be show notes uh including art from this issue and potentially links if we said anything that we're linking to mm-hmm. who knows we'll see um that's waitwhatpodcast.com i think we're i think i've given you a good idea of where to find us on the internet that's right um in a week, when you listen to this, we'll be back with another episode of Wait What. That's right. I think I think it's actually going to be the first regular episode of Wait What in a while. That, that or is we'll just correct. be talking about comics. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be kind of an amazing challenge after this. But I imagine I, we'll we'll make it work somehow because that's right. Our la- our previous episode was a question, was a question and answer. answer. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you know what I can tease for the next episode of Wait What? Oh, please. Um, 
one of our Patreon listeners asked uh, us to read Herbie, and I've been reading Herbie. I've read the, the three okay. collections of it. Mm-hmm. And really? Jeff, Herbie's a fascinating-ass comic. <laughs> um, yeah. People who have never heard of Herbie, uh, you should really tune in for the next episode of Wait What. People who have heard of Herbie, you should also tune in for the next episode of Wait What because I'm still not sure what my reaction to Herbie is. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, it's it's a thing. So that will be on the next episode and we will also be talking about the comics news and probably some of the comics that we've read recently. That's right. Thank you very much for listening, folks. Uh, it is very much appreciated. Your support, both in listening to us and in donating to our Patreon. Uh, this would literally not be possible without you guys. And so, thank you. Jeff, do you want to sing us out? Bye! <sighs> that was kind of flat. I'm kind of a flat person. Captain Scarlet He's the one who knows the Mr. Wrong Game And things they planned Captain Scarlet To his Martian foes A dangerous name A Superman They crash him And his body may burn to the same.